tinfoil hat. Oh, what the fuck are you guys even talking about? Global controls will have to be imposed. And a world governing body will be created to enforce them. Welcome to Tinfoil Hat. We, we, we go deep, homeboy. Eric, open your mind. Drink from the fountain of knowledge. There's lizard people everywhere. That's some interdimensional shit. Wake up, Aaron. This is only the beginning. Dude, you just blew my mind. Are you ready to get your mind blown? Good morning, Storm. And welcome to Tim Paul Hat. You know I am. You know I'm here to do. I'm here to rock. Joining me as always, my good friend Xavier Guerrero and Jay Nice, Johnny Woodard. Guys, how are you doing today? Great, 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 great. Good Thanks. show today. It was a lot of fun. Uh, we go deep, 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 deep into um, the uh, Freemason occult uh, symbolism into Disney movies with the Paranoid American. And uh, it's, a, it's a really great show. Uh, I enjoyed it. He, he's fun to talk to. And I think it's an interesting topic. And I'm glad we did it because I, I think it's very important to talk about what's going on in Disney. And I think you'll, I think you'll get a good understanding of that this new uh, quote-unquote satanic uh, entertainment or whatever you want to call it uh, isn't new. It's not just coming out. It was actually way more blatant back in the day. So uh, I hope you guys enjoy all of this, uh, this third episode we did this week. Guys, this weekend, or actually tonight, when this comes out, we will be in Chicago, actually Aurora, Illinois. We have an 8 p.m. show. That's pretty much sold out. And we'll have a second show uh, at 10 p.m. That's uh, Swarm Tank. You can come up and ask any questions you want of anybody on the panel. We're super excited about that. And then the following night, we are in uh, Gauss, 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 Texas at Flow Fest. Uh, that is tomorrow night, Saturday night. Uh, May 4th is the big um, um, comedy chaos. Russell Peters, Christina Pajinski, uh, Eddie Bravo, George Perez, and uh, Money Man. Oh, uh, uh, my good friend, uh, Owen Smith, who's been crushing it. He's going to be on there. More guests to come. Grab your tickets now. And then May 11th, Laguna Niguel. That will be, uh, the, the, that is going to be a great show as well. Uh, again, if you want uh, premium content, go to rockfin.com, Tinfall Hat Zero, Conspiracy Social Club, um, Tinfall Hat T-shirts, all of our T-shirts, great way to support the show. Uh, if you want to join the Telegram, that is growing leaps and bounds. Go to TFH, only Conspiracies Telegram link, click that. Hopefully we'll be uh, at 4,000 subscribers very soon. All the free shows that you want to listen to. Uh, we I have seven free shows, Conspiracy Social Club, Broken Sin, which is uh, basically me going out to do danger in the world and see if I survive, and we talk about it. Cash Daddies, Punch, Cash Daddies is my financial show, Punch Drunk Sports Show, Union on the Unwind is my panel show, and then I have two shows from the vault of my Rockfin shows, Conspiracy Social Club, and zero those are available if you want fresh shows again go to zero and uh yeah 24-hour radio show is available as well if you want to listen to those anything else guys nope we're good to go let's go this is a great show you know Big gotta time. 
it's a good time. It's a, it's a fun show, almost two hours. Enjoy it. We go deep, homeboy. Eric, open your mind. All right, I'm super excited about doing this episode, man. Uh, I've been wanting to do an episode on this for a while. And uh, Mark, the booker, Mark Steves, was nice enough to pull a, a rabbit out of his hat. Uh, this gentleman's here. He's a coder. He's a comic book enthusiast. He has his own comic book line. Very excited to have him. Please welcome the paranoid American, Thomas Gorens. How are you, brother? Hey, guys. Thank you so much, man. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> thank you so much for coming on, dude. How did you and Mark uh, hook up? Uh, man, I'm not 100% sure, but I know that I've been talking to Mark for, for quite a while, and I cut a... Uh, a special edition comic for him not too long ago uh, about skull and bones. I won't, I won't get too much more into that one. Oh, I but love I've been it, talking dude. to him for, I think over a year at some point. Well, that's great dude. And I'm glad he could make this happen. And uh, so if our listeners want to find you, where's the best place to find you? So right now, paranoidamerican.com. That's my website. You can read a bunch of comics for free. Um, also on Amazon, I'm just starting to dip my toe in. So if you search and go to like page, you know, 900 or whatever it is, but if you search paranoid American on Amazon, you'll find some comics, some coloring books. I got a children's book about chemtrails, uh, all <laughs> kinds of like funny, wacky stuff that you'll find on there. And then on uh, Instagram's my only social media paranoid American on Instagram. All right, man. Well, we're going to make sure to include all that in the, in, in the description I love the name Paranoid American. Can you tell us why you went with that? Uh, man, I was I was debating a whole bunch of different names, and I got to give credit to my girlfriend that that came up with that. But she was kind of making it as a joke because it kind of represented me. I'm I'm sort of like a stereotypical American. Went into the military, gun nut, sort of you know pro second first every amendment, uh, and then I've been a conspiracy theorist since I was at least nine or ten years old. So it just kind of like all those pieces fit together. And when she said it, it made perfect sense. All right, guys, it's spring. That's right. And you know what? That means pound town action. That's right. Today's show is brought to you by our good friends at Blue Chew. It's time to dig yourself out of the winter hibernation. Spring is here and it's time to get sprung with Blue Chew. That's right. This episode sponsored by Blue Chew. Okay, guys, confidence can take you far in life. It also helps in the bedroom, especially when it comes time to step up your, to play and drop the hammer of the gods on your unsuspecting lady or dude, depending on what kind of hole you like to hit, okay? And that's where Blue Chew comes in. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but, a, but in a chewable tablet at a fraction of the cost, okay? You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready whenever the opportunity arises for Pound Town. Everyone's going to Pound Town, wrecking the whole Holes at Pound Town. So whether you're into ladies or men, Pound Town, Mayor of Pound Town, to make it happen, the process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part, it's all done online, so there's no visit to the doctor's office or any awkward conversation, no waiting in line at the pharmacy. Just get your little chewable tablet, take it and wreck shop, okay? And guess what? 
And it's American made for American boners, for American holes, okay? Wrecking shop is the most patriotic thing you can do, all right? I'm thinking about getting Bluetooth tattooed on my ding dong. That's how much I love it, okay? It starts out as BC and then expands the Bluetooth like a young Christian warrior, <laughs> okay? So this is what we're going to do. If you could benefit with a little extra confidence when it comes time to perform, Blue Chew can help. And we we got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code TINFOIL at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's BlueChew.com promo code TINFOIL to receive your first month free. Visit BlueChew.com for more details and, and important safety information. We thank Blue Chew for sponsoring this show. We lost Sandra's dog here. I love the name. Sorry about that. It's, you know, part of doing something at home. Uh, I love the name a lot because I was raised paranoid by two paranoid people. And I love them very much. And I guess I wouldn't have it any other way because the story, it's not the end of the story, let's hope. But it's like where we're at is pretty fucking good. And I'm very thankful for my parents. Nobody's perfect. They did a great job, and I'm very blessed. And I hope I could be the uh, the same kind of parent. What level of paranoia are you talking about being raised in? I mean, my my father, like a Lum- like Bavarian Illuminati conspiracy. No, no, no. Uh, well, well, uh, yeah. My father didn't trust anything. Always said that. But my father used to give me mob advice when it came <laughs> to how to deal with people. Like, don't believe anything you hear. Enough, a half of what you see. Somebody mm-hmm. fucks with you. They're jealous of you, and all this kind of craziness. So, you know, I was listening to Ari Shafir on Joe Rogan. He's like, you know, in this video of Sam. This is pre-conspiracy Sam and I'm like there's never you never (laughs) met pre-conspiracy Sam Sam's always been conspiracy it just what I I realized I didn't realize anyone wanted to hear me talk about it it wasn't until (laughs) later on I I had a falling out uh on the show before this and I was like what do I want to talk about you know it's like I love conspiracies I think I'm gonna talk and it just you know here we are but I love it. I love that it's called par- you call yourself paranoid American. And, and there's an old Will Smith movie, and and, and, the, and the tagline and on the movie poster I think was like, "It's not paranoia if they're really coming after you." It's enemy with uh, the state. With the state. Yeah. yeah, and I oh that always resonated with me. I go, yeah, dude, that's the most true <laughs> shit. And it's like it's not paranoia because we know it's really happening and we know all this crazy stuff's going on. And so now that you've been like kind of on your journey and we'll get into our discussion, but do you kind of like laugh at the name because it's like I- I'm a paranoid American or are you just an American? I, I, I embrace it fully. Like I'm, I'm paranoid by nature, sort of like you. Um, but I'm also, you know, uh, I'm self-professed kind of ignorant American. I don't know a whole lot when it gets to like international matters and like ancient world history, but I am more than fascinated in American history and anything like Americana specific. Like I, I try to branch out, right? I don't just like close the rest of the world off, but for whatever reason, man, like I was grown up in front of a TV, you know, I grew up on like Nickelodeon and eighties cartoons and like, like pop culture media was, was my main input, you know? And I was, and we were talking about before this, that I'm kind of like a coder by nature. So, I mean, if there was ever like a, an experiment on what happens when a kid grows up in front of a TV or computer screen their whole life, like I'm probably I'm the one, you know, <laughs> you know, it's very interesting because 
I have children right now that are two and they watch degrees of television and one really loves to play video games already. And part of me is like, it's too much screen time. But I also know <laughs> that like the future is screen time, everybody. I mean, it really is. The, we're just going to keep going more and more into screen time. And I, I very much remember my father discussing with me, you know, hey, dude, stop playing video games all the time. You're never going to be able to make money on it. And I just want to be like, go back in time going, <laughs> yeah. oh, there's so much money in it. And you play. And look at this time. Twitch guy that's making more than I ever made right now. Right. So some random crazy. game. Yeah. <laughs> and by the way, dude, I, I just uh, as we were talking, I checked out your website. I really like your art, man. And I I like that you have like what it looks like to me, maybe different styles of art. Well, well to too. be clear, I'm, I'm a writer and I've been writing and creating the concepts, but I pretty much hire out all the art. So all oh, the art really, you see dude. on the website is a different artist. But pretty much everything on there is something that I wrote and I've had to find the right artist for it and kind of bring it all together. What are they it's, using? it's all self-published. What do they run you for that around? Uh, it depends on uh, the skill, the level of detail, how fast you want it. But on a real broad spectrum, on the low end, you can pay maybe $60 a page. And on the higher spectrum, before you get to like DC Marvel area, you might be paying around 200 a page. And then plus and minus depending on whole list of factors, you know, but that's kind of the a large gamut. I want to talk to you about that stuff after I, I have some ideas I've always wanted to really do. And by the way, I don't know. It's if addicting, anybody, bro. It's one of the most addicting things ever to start seeing it all kind of come to life. You know, No, I would love that. I really would love the idea. I have a whole bunch of ideas and I don't know this. This will lead us into our, our fun conversation because today we're going to talk about uh, a Disney and uh, the dark, uh, the dark history of Disney, or the occult history of Disney. I, I, I say it's dark because I think if most people would know about it, right, they would have a view of. And maybe I'm wrong. But I shouldn't call it dark. I don't know, but I think like where we are right now with these meetings that these these uh these Zoom meetings where people are getting busted saying crazy stuff. And they're like, we want fifty of a percent of our characters to be gay and i'm like what dude what there's not like there's not enough gay people in the world to represent that kind of percentage of your characters but you know uh i mean i i've been watching a lot of like obviously i had two-year-olds and we we watch i love to watch t you know they're 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 programming and what they're watching i and that's the word programming right both their tv shows and you know some of these dudes man who are on these kids' shows give me bad vibes, man. They just have this weird... That's understandable. But Disney specifically, I'm, I'm curious, especially because I'm not a parent, but I'm curious, like, how impossible would it be to isolate anything Disney away from your kids? It seems like it would be, you know, futile well, to even try. To be honest with you, there's so much amazing, and I say amazing, that meaning that high high uh, production value stuff on YouTube that you could almost stay on YouTube. But uh, Disney is a big, big factor. I mean, because oh, yeah. Disney is really good at going, here's some stuff for you. And here's some stuff for parents that the kids can watch too. So it's like you watch some kids show you're like, okay, I'm being dumbed down right now because it's so elementary, but you know, it, it, it is hard and they're super smart in how they're operating, but I do feel like they've overreached and 
the words out right now, right? I mean, I mean, and when the things hit, the things hit like Frozen. I knew that fucking song, and I've never seen Frozen. And then I ended up watching the uh, what's that Mexican movie with the uh, the Day of the Dead that makes you cry, Coco. Uh, yeah, yeah I know what you're talking about. Yeah, that one's a sad one. So I mean, eventually, after hearing so many good things about them, you're like, fuck it, I'll let Disney, I'll let Disney have my fucking ten dollars. But I mean, some of it's good. You can't hate on it at the end of the day. I mean, you can hate on it because some of it. I mean, we watched this Pinocchio thing with it's like knowing all that we know now. It's super dark. But I understand what you're saying, XC, because, you know, I I said the same statement that they like. Would you let like would you let your daughters watch Pinocchio? It's a staple. If if they're going to go to Disneyland, that they're going to ask you to go. You're not going to throw in. Pinocchio be like, this is why we go on this ride. And I'm not telling you to be like, hey, don't watch this part or a little, give them a little bit of awareness. But, but if you it's, brought them all oh, the way oh, to what Disney What do you mean, World, the two-year-olds? <laughs> this is where they, I hate, here's some awareness. Well, no, no, this I'm is not, where no, they I'm, kidnap the kids. And have, I'm talking like when, <laughs> and when, you take, them out. when you take them to Disneyland, like at seven, eight, I don't know when you tell kids like no, this movie, is, there's a, some narrative behind this movie. That is going to be a big thing because, you know, I, you know, I, you talk to Eddie Bravo all the time and he's just like, you know, with my kids, I blue pill, I blue pill. It. And I think there is a little bit of that that you somewhat have to do because are you, I mean, if we're going around, we're like, let's say I decided, okay, I'll go to Disneyland and, and then there's, you know, this super creeper around. I'm not going to be like blue pill it. Let him like do whatever. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to start clocking motherfuckers. Right. But if they just want to ride the teacup ride, I'm not going to be like, you know what this really represents or anything like that. Right. I mean, it's kind of, you know, let, let it happen until something happens. And then well, fuck I, around I, and I like you out. brought up a uh, dark, right? Dark versus maybe a cult or esoteric. Cause it's, and to me, um, and this might put me in some camp that I'm not trying to put myself in, but to me, like dark is a very puritanical Roman Catholic way of looking at things in a very, very black and white manner. Right. So usually dark is talking about how the, the, the papacy sort of, um, discredited any sort of folk magic at a certain point. And I wasn't even like that originally. It was like sometime in the Middle Ages, they were like, all right, now all witchcraft and all kind of like common folk magic is now banned. But it didn't start like that because they kind of had to like lean into it. And I kind of feel a lot of the the rhetoric about things being evil and satanic and, and dark about Disney, some of it you can make a really strong case for, but a lot of it too, I think comes from this very puritanical aspect of things of you know almost like a bible thumping aspect and not necessarily talking just about the occult aspects which to me is the most fascinating part because you can you can trace the lineage of all sorts of occult influences you know when they when we've talked about this before on the show you, you know uh we've talked about what 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 occult actually means versus what people's perception of it means right and and it, the call is like hidden knowledge, right? And what people think it is is like dark art secret societies, you know. And when we put dark and light, I think that for me is was the intentions, what are the intentions of these things and of these actions. And I think like when you when you go back and you look at Pinocchio 
and like what was in that. That is a very. We'll, we'll look at. It. I'm I'm gonna blow some some minds hopefully on some new information that you guys haven't heard about Pinocchio. Okay, so I'm a. I know people like to let them talk. So where do you <laughs> want to begin? Uh, so I'll, I'll throw this out there. This this is not an appeal to authority or anything, but I've got a unique experience where I actually worked at Disney. I worked at, at Disney World Hollywood Studios in the animation building for about ten years. Uh, before they demolished it and I think made room for a Star Wars ride that's that's back there now. Um, but I kind of, I didn't, I wasn't an animator myself. I did digital animation, not the hand-to-hand animation, but I worked in the exact room that those animators were working on, like, you know, back in the day, at least the Orlando studio. And the the place we worked was called the Fishbowl. And if anyone had ever been to uh, Orlando, Walt Disney World, in maybe the late 80s, maybe really early 90s, and you took like the back lot tram tour, it went around, you could like see people working, they called the Fishbowl. So that was the little place I worked in. So a lot of the people that I worked with, they had been cast members when Disney World had like first started. And I came into the company, you know, young buck right out of school. And they've been like, oh, geez, getting ready to retire. So a lot of them knew like, you know, Walt or the stories about people that work directly with Walt. And I remember um, all kinds of cool stories that got me really interested in it, where he would go into the, the studio after hours when people went away and he would go through everybody's desks, all the animators. And he would look to see if they were like sketching, you know, extracurricular stuff, coming up with their own ideas and if they weren't, he would fire them or he would like put them on a shit list. And it was almost this this mentality of, you know, not in addition to your work, you always got to be creative, growing, like doing more stuff. Hold on. If they weren't doing extra stuff, he got angry. Correct. Yeah. Wow. And, and it was just his his mentality. I mean, he was a slave driver in almost every sense of the world when it came to managing his animators. And he was cutthroat businessman. Um, but anyways, I, I mentioned all this because I kind of grew up and, and cut my teeth doing animation and doing post-production um, right there on the property and hearing all sorts of tales. It was almost like the ghost of him was wandering around sometimes. So uh, it was it was an interesting sort of, uh, you know, career move to kind of like cut my teeth in the real world. So that's my my point of view coming from it. Um, and then, like I said, I grew up as a conspiracy theorist. So even going in, I had already heard about all the Project Monarch and Disney programming and, you know, any conspiracy theory you've heard of. I went into Disney already with that in my mind and, you know, did my best kind of try to spread it around. And at some point, I think I realized, man, I'm, I'm a conspiracy theorist and I'm working with these great artists and animators and other writers. Like, how come I don't just connect the dots? Like, I'm working right next to this great artist why don't I have him do something about skull and bones and have this guy do a comic about the federal reserve. And it, it kind of just like blossomed out from there. I love uh, it, dude. I love it. I love all of it. I want, that's why I want to talk to you about some ideas I have. So, so real quick, did you, did, so you never really saw anything that was, you would say was damning or curious even while you were there? Uh, I heard stories. I never saw anything myself. I mean, it was it like when I went to work, I had to go through like a security gate and I had a little like, you know, pass that buzzed me in and everything. The, the one thing, and this might not be weird, but um, I put up a huge stink. I had a, a beard at the time and I didn't want to shave it because I looked like a weirdo without a beard. You know, my face like turns into a weird shape and uh, they have and I never was a cast member, meaning that I never went on to the actual park and like interacted with people. I just worked in this production studio. But for whatever reason, since I had to go to the park and get my pass taken, I didn't want to shave my face. 
And I kept pushing back to the point where Michael Eisner contacted my boss and was like, who's this idiot that doesn't want to shave his face? And then he came running to me like, why did Michael Eisner just call me directly about your That's beard? Amazing. So I shaved that, that off. But it's crazy. And, and wow. I found out that there was two interesting components of that. One is that the reason for that is that they want people that took a picture with their kids in 1950 and 1970 and 1990. They don't want to see changing facial features and like um, people in the park kind of keeping up with trends. They want it to be timeless. So like the picture with your kids look like the picture with your, you know, you and your grandkids. Wow. It's, like, it's like playing for the damn Yankees. Like, so, and, and, and man, they, there's this like ever going theme of sort of, rebirth and immortality that's persistent through all of this disney magic and and that's just one of the tiny aspects of it so did anyone then, ever yeah. tell you where the uh ice cooler with walt disney's head is <laughs> <laughs> i i love the theory but i'm pretty sure that it, there's nothing really accurate to that uh, one I so. <laughs> what do you recall and, and can you share uh any of the stories you heard that you said were uh, one of the, the cool ones and this is kind of related tangentially to the whole reedy creek you know um what is it um DeSantis is like is getting rid of their their special district so one of the the thing and this is probably just a rumor but I heard it more often from a lot of people is that another benefit of them having Reedy Creek with their own fire department and their own police department is that technically anyone here seen the um everyone's probably seen the wire right and yeah oh yeah like this constant battle of like so they find a dead body in the lake and they're like, well, if we just float it over a mile, it'll yeah. go into that guy's district and we don't have to mess with the dead body and the, and the statistics and everything. So there's this component of Disney that if you died on the park or died somewhere in property, since they had their own police and their own EMS, their own fire department, they could essentially escort you off. Like, don't declare you dead on park, get you off the park property and then declare you dead elsewhere to keep their statistics to be like, no one's ever died in our park or it's, you know, single digit people that have ever died. So that's, and it, and that one I like because it's such a practical and like easy to understand thing that they absolutely probably did. But I mean, I don't have any proof. No, it, it is crazy. And, and to think like, Oh, that's so, that's so wrong. That's so disgusting. You know, I was on Joe back when I was allowed on Joe Rogan's podcast. <laughs> one of the biggest mistakes I made was having a big argument with him because he was, he was my friend. He's still my friend. I love him to death. He says that he tweet texts me all the time. I love him. But he, uh, you know, I, it was it was just a bu- me talking to a buddy at that point. You know, it wasn't th- this this juggernaut that it is now. And I I, I think I made a mistake because I had an argument with him, uh, and it was this this thing. And I forget what the movie was that told the story that basically corporations will do basically math on should we recall this is it fight club that did that should we recall this yeah or- edward norton he was a, a car insurance adjuster yeah, and he eventually yeah. was yeah so i was talking about that and he didn't believe me and of course it's true where they would they do the math what's going to cost more a recall or going to court if it's cheaper to go to court they're not going to recall it so the, the notion that they would that they would totally just move a dead person off a fucking roller coaster to the fucking entrance <laughs> of, of Disneyland. Like, like that scene from blood fuck sport where they like Tom Poe cripples uh, Van Damme's brother and they just throw him outside. Like it's nothing. It totally <laughs> makes sense to me. 
I mean, they also say it happens at music festivals that someone will OD and all you got to do is make sure they get to the hospital before they technically die and they didn't die at the festival. Yeah, yeah. Same shit. It's like technically they didn't die there. So, But imagine that festival owns the city that they're performing in and own, and pays all the police yeah. and pays like Coachella. all the firemen. Oh, how yeah. about Coachella? Coachella, you don't think someone kind of maybe dies at Coachella and Coachella's not going to say anyone died there? They own the whole place at that moment in time. Yeah. So, so that's one of the, like, I guess the most like secret things that I might, might have heard of. The other one that, that I haven't been able to confirm independently, but the guy that I worked for, his dad worked directly with Wall. And from my understanding, they hired a military contractor that built military bases in order to build Walt Disney World. Um, so the way that it's all laid out, if you look from an aerial point of view, you can almost map it directly to a military base. Well, no, I mean, now you mean it's meant to be like a defensible? Is that is that what you mean? Uh, I mean, honestly, if I'm I'm more rational, practical, I, I tend not to like jump out. So I, I figure that um, he saw, you know, mil spec just means like the cheapest possible Got thing it. that meets okay. all of the criteria. So part of it might be mil spec, but also um, Walt at that point was deep involved with FBI and patriotism, and we'll get into pretty soon. He was part of Demolay. Uh, which is a, a, a kind of like a Freemasonic Boy Scouts. And part, one of the, the main virtues of Demolay is like this very passioned belief in country. Um, and this was instilled in him to the point where he absolutely probably, you know, was like a, like a diehard American to the end. Hey, everybody, want to tell you about our friends at Lucy Nicotine products that's right look we're all adults here and i know some of you choose to use nicotine to relax focus or just unwind after a long day lucy is a modern oral nicotine company that makes nicotine gum lozenges and pouches for who for adults who are looking for the best most responsible way to consume their nicotine it's the new year why not start out by switching to a new nicotine product that makes you feel good. I got Dana trying these out. We also have my good friend, uh, Chris Neff from Cash Daddies. He's loving it. Uh, Lucy nicotine products are a real hit with my friends who love nicotine. Okay. So if you're enjoying nicotine, you should definitely check out Lucy's products at lucy.co. That's lucy.co and use the promo code tinfall at checkout. Okay. That's lucy.co Promo code TINFOIL, okay? I have to read this to you. There's a disclaimer. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Remember, if you're interested in a better way to use nicotine, visit lucy.co and be sure to use the promo code TINFOIL. Okay, uh, hey guys, I want to tell you about our friends at Super Speciosa, okay? Listen, the government doesn't want you to know about this stuff. So that's how you know it's natural and it works for you, okay? Kratom is an all-natural herb related to coffee plant that has been used in Thailand for centuries. Kratom helps energize your mind, relax your body. It just helps you feel good, okay? Super Speciosa has only one ingredient, pure Kratom leaf. All Super Speciosa batches come with a certified lab report so you know exactly what you're getting, okay? None of this riffraff street shit, all right? Real stuff for you, okay? For beginners, Super Speciosa recommends capsules because they're easy to use. They also recommend the Green MD strain. It's one of their most popular and best-selling items. If you don't like the way you feel, you can get your money back 
guaranteed. They also recently made a change so that the promo code we're about to give you can be used again and again. Okay, so I, here's what I want you guys to do. Try Kratom and you'll get 20% off. Go to getsuperleaf.com slash Sam and get 20% off the promo code Sam, okay? That's getsuperleaf.com slash Sam and use the promo code Sam for 20% off. You know, I wonder what Walt would think of Walt Disney today with the, you know, lot doing a lot of work with China and stuff like that. And I got to do an episode on what is really happening with China versus military industrial complex fear mongering to get us to want to go to war with China. Because you have people on the far left telling us this is all propaganda. You have people who listen to the show uh, who live in China talking about how it's not what we think. So, and I've been told that by, you know, the guy who helped me work, who who developed my website was in China at the time. He's like, it's not what you guys think, but so I think it's very interesting. And a big, uh, big inspiration for doing this episode was a video that came out that said about how basically the CIA helped Disney get uh, a lot of their land. And one thing they did because, and this resonated with me because of what's going on right now is that they, basically took a bunch of CIA agents and gave them fake IDs, identities, so they could go in and buy all this land because I think people were very wary about a giant amusement park coming in. And, uh, and personally, I think as people start to begin, start to hear more and more about BlackRock and these investment banks buying up all these houses from families, people are going to start going, well, I want to choose who grabs this house. You're going to start seeing that more. You're going to see fake identities of people coming in, buying these houses for BlackRock and Vanguard and State Well, they, they actually cite that pretty often. That's not really like a, a secret, at least here, because I live in Orlando still. Um, and that's almost like touted as this uh, incredible, you know, business acumen move that he'd made. And I haven't heard that there were CIA agents. That wouldn't surprise me at all. But uh, that's interesting enough. So I'm going to look into that. I've but, heard that story for sure. So. But the, the other angle on that, too, wasn't just that people were resistant against it, but they also realized that if someone knew that it was Walt Disney buying this money up oh, um, yeah. or the land, they could yeah. just go buy the tiniest little part and be like, sit on it and try to like raise it up. So he tried to make it look like these completely independent people with their own you know, reasons were buying different plots of farmland. And then after I think he got like five or six of the big ones, someone pieced it together. And there's there's a, a really cool video, if, if you care about it, of like this lady being interviewed in like the 70s. And she was explaining that she was one of the people that um, cracked that case. She was, you know, like the reporter at the time. And it was like, you know, people didn't have Instagram and like uh, like uh, all kinds of crazy wow. online uh, drama to follow. So that was like a big thing at the time. And, you know, an example of this happening in modern times is, you know, with Joe Rogan trying to buy a comedy club, people are finding out that it's Rogan that's looking to purchase these things and they're jacking the price up. Because they want so, I mean, he's got to get like a like a shell company to go or a, right? a standing comedian to, to buy then, it first. Yeah. I mean, I guess, but, but you wouldn't do that, though. You wouldn't do that if you know Walt Disney all of a sudden is buying this piece of land that you wanted 100K for all of a sudden. Don't you want maybe at least three times as more? I don't I blame them for I it. Wouldn't. I, I can't wouldn't blame say them I wouldn't. For it. Yeah. Well, the, the idea, though, is that someone would know what they're doing and then they would go and buy it first and then resell it. It's not like they already owned it and, and uh, Walt was trying to lowball them. I'm sure that was going on, too. <laughs> but 
uh, they didn't want someone to like beat them to the punch. But I, I, I would tell you if I was selling my house and I had a choice between BlackRock and a family, I would sell to a family without it wouldn't even be an issue. Especially if I'm getting what I wanted, like oh, I want one, po- I want one point two, and this BlackRock's coming in for one point four, and this family's coming in one point two. I mean, I, I know I could say, I mean, I would tell you that my my desire would probably be the one point two and give it to the family. Well, and to be clear too, like the land he bought was complete marshland, and if anything, the city built up around that as opposed to like him building it next to a city you know orlando at the time was was known for oranges they weren't known for almost anything else not not for meth alligators yeah i came out i mean honestly you can make a connection between disney and all that really all right dude so So let's let's go to the brothers Grimm and all that stuff early because i'm really excited i think well, let me let me start out with Walt Disney and I'll, I'll get right to Brothers Grimm. But there's a couple a of things time. that it, it. It, it builds on top. So perfect. Um, without getting to his whole entire backstory, there's one really important element to understand about Walt is that he had a really strained relationship with his dad to the point where he kind of fantasized that he was adopted and that his dad and his mom weren't his real parents and that wow. um, his real dad was this spanish nobleman that you know had like a child out of wedlock so if you even think back as a little kid before disney existed he was like one of those archetypal disney princesses that was whisked away by the evil stepmother and and whatnot like that was kind of his view of himself for quite a long time um and and real quick sorry but there is a theme in disney uh animation where the parent dies Oh, big time. Well, and and this is going to start making a whole lot more sense, too, because I mentioned that he was part of Demole. And this is such a weird, uh, perfect storm. It seems like an absolute coincidence because uh, Walt's around like 15 or something. He's trying to join the military. He can't get in because he's too young. He's trying to like forge his way in. He eventually figures out a way to become a medic, but it doesn't give him like this fulfillment life experience that he needs. And he's completely lost. And at age 19, um, that year or like six months before this new Freemasonic organization that never existed before started forming up in the exact city that he lived in, which was Kansas city. And it was called, uh, Demole. And the best way to describe Demole is kind of like a Freemasonic Cub Scouts. You know, they do camping, they do arts and crafts, they do dances and archery, but they also have a, a quasi Masonic sort of um, or quasi Freemasonic ritual all the way down to um, taking oaths and uh, referring to secrecy and memorizing all kinds of memory work and learning seven liberal arts. Uh, and it, actually, if you go on Instagram, you can find there's a Walt Disney chapter of Demole that has an Instagram page and they've got a video of, you know, people going through and describing all of it. And if, if you've ever read anything about Freemasonry, it's just like it's little kids doing Freemasonry. Um, and, and on top of this, one of the things that in Freemasonry, you, you refer to like the worshipful master and they've got all of these different titles in Demole, you call him dad. So you've got this Walt Disney with daddy issues that thinks that, you know, his dad's somewhere out there. He's got to find the right one. And this organization, literally you refer to your mentor as dad. And not only did he join this organization, but this was like the second group of kids that had ever gone through it. And he worked directly under the founder of Demole. Uh, his name was Frank Land, I think. Um, but everyone called him dad. Like that was just kind of like a creepy name, but that was your dad. Um, so 
the, the reason why this is so important is that, I mean, Walt Disney grew up and kind of formed his, you know, formative years under this understanding of being in a secret society, taking oaths, um, understanding these like mystical connections between things and applying it to every facet of your life. Now, he, Walt Disney didn't become, I think, a, an actual Freemason at any point, but the type of stuff that he learned and the kind of values that they sort of embodied, you wouldn't have needed to become a Freemason. He kind of already held a lot of that thinking going forward. So right off the bat, you know, uh, Walt Disney is not some country bumpkin that just like to draw pictures. He is deeply into whether he knew, knows it or not, like Rosicrucianism and some alchemical sort of logic and, and classic philosophy. And these so, are in, this is in his late teens, early 20s. That he he's, starts- ni- yeah, he's 19. And I don't think he started doing any kind of animation until he was like 22 or something like that. Um, and, he, and he credits all of his success to his upbringing in this Demolay society. So I, I find this incredibly important just because you could break Demolay and Freemasonry down to concepts of, you know, Rosicrucianism, ceremonial magic, uh, bringing your, your will into, you know, manifesting it into reality. These sort of concepts are baked into this type of thing. So with that sort of as his great, you know, framework before he even gets into his long career, that's where he is, his mind state is kind of coming from. Um, and there's interviews where, you know, he admits this. And, uh, and I think there's some early Mickey Mouse cartoons that he had in the paper where they're going to like a chapter of the Mickey Mouse Demolay Society and they're like voting on something. And he's got like a, uh, like a fancy little, you know, outfit on and a big chair, like he's grand, ma- he's a worshipful master in a lodge and stuff. So the, it wasn't like a hidden thing. He kind of included this and everything. Um, so, I, and I want to bring this up because I've got this underlying theory that's semi-serious, but that this whole concept of movie magic, uh, it very likely could have been Disney that started the whole concept of uh, princess imagery and that his movies themselves could be classified as magical spells and ceremonial magic, depending on, yeah, on you know, how close you want to make the definitions. But I don't personally, I'm not like super into woo-woo. Um, but this one, I feel is like, there's a strong action to be made here that I don't care what your definition of magic is. There's a de facto example of this. Being Do you magic. believe that there is magic like sorcery, energy manipulation, stuff like that? Kind of programming 30%. Yes. <laughs> 70%. No. Is that, if that's okay. Like, no, if you ever hear Alan Watts talk about magic, it's my concept is sort of. You can take a vibration coming, you know, a thought that starts in my brain turns into a vibration out of my mouth. And if that manifests itself into some bigger reality that lasts longer than the vibration lasted, I mean, there's an argument to be made that that's a, a form of magic. So in that and loose definition, I believe in it. Yeah. Okay. That's fine, dude. I'm down with that. So making I'm like really- a digital comic, coming up with an idea, having an artist draw it. It's all just pushing electrons around in cyberspace and it comes out and you print it and you've got a full story and people like it. To me, there's there's some kind of magic yeah. in that part of the process, even if I can't put my finger exactly cool. what part of it. Well, that's very interesting. I don't know if I've ever really thought of it like that. The art is a manifestation and a, is a magic to create something when and digital specifically because in a digital realm you truly do start with nothing but just energy and you're combining frequencies and energy and at some point it turns into an actual thing that represents almost like a platonic ideal right like you've manifested 
a thing that represents way more than all of the individual pixels that got pushed around. So, so, so yeah, if we can say that's magic, then I believe in magic. That's cool. Yeah. I'm down. I'm yeah. down. So, you know, they, they say there's only how many stories, John, uh, Johnny, 12 stories or like every story has been told. I, I mean, I've like heard a, that, but I don't know the number. Yeah. It's like some crazy, like there's only X number of stories been told and everything is a rewrite and there's always some kind, like you might have an original take in one way, but it's still a story that has been told. It's in, like some Joseph Campbell hero of a thousand faces uh, kind of yeah. thing where. Yeah. 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 The, the so setting all, changes, the names change, but the, the themes and the Jungian archetypes are kind of the, the one constant. The micro is probably a little different, but the macro has probably been told a thousand times, right? Yep. It's the, it's and, the framework, yeah. And I feel like that might be with Disney and stuff and the history of that, that the story's being retold over and over again and so, the influence of that. So, so we're getting right into Grimm's, and, and I, Grimm is the, the origin of all of this. And I'm, I'll make a good case, too, that the world wouldn't even exist as we know it without the, the Grimm's work. But there's one thing that uh, it seems like a tangent, but I think you guys like tangents here. So <laughs> <laughs> have you guys heard of uh, Arthur C. Clarke's Three Laws? No, you might have heard no. of them, but I'll, I'll repeat them anyways, just for anyone. So the, the third one's the only one that I really care about. And I'm going to just make a distinction here that that shows my, my point of view on this. But the first one is that when a distinguished elderly scientist states something that is possible, that they're almost certainly right. But if they state something is impossible, they're probably wrong. And it's kind of goes to show that, like, as you get older in age, if you think something possible, um, eventually, maybe outside your lifetime, it will be possible. It's, it's a long way of saying, you know, anything is possible on an infinite timeline. His second rule of, of law is the only way of discovering the limits of the possible is to venture beyond them into the impossible. So you're never going to find what the limits of possibility are if you are always trying to get like to the edge or right before it, right? Um, so the, those ones are cool enough. They're, they're less related to this third one. The third one is the one that I'm most interested in. And this is that any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. And my favorite reference is like the Apocalypto movie uh, with, from Mel Gibson. Do you remember this one? So like, so the, the, the concept spoiler alert is that in Apocalypto, this, um, this, uh, I think it was like a Mayan uh, ancient, he uh, like a witch doctor guy. He knew that there was oh, going to yeah, be a yeah, solar eclipse. So, but he like, he got everyone convinced that if they didn't do these like blood sacrifices and bring him all of these things and keep worshiping his king, then he wouldn't let the sun come back out and like the world would end. And it was only because he understood, you know, astronomy that he knew that like it was going to uncover anyways. And he knew exactly when it was going to happen, but he used that science and he pretended it was magic. So, so Arthur C. Clarke has this third law and it basically says that any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. And I take that to mean that it doesn't matter if you know it's technology and they don't like it is magic in that in that moment to everybody else. So, dude, I completely agree with all that. Uh, I've said this before. It goes back to, you know, millionaires read the market, billionaires read the stars. And, and like, <laughs> I love this. That this age of Aquarius, right? And like everything is being, you know, uh, it's a, it's a time of enlightenment, right? The, the age well, of the water bear and the serpent bear bearing, you know, knowledge, all on that everybody. stuff, dude, or even like, let's get, and I don't know how far deep into this stuff you get into, but it's like, when you talk about like 
you know, if they know that, let's say we're going to talk terrain theory, which is viruses aren't viruses, they're exosomes, and they're they're detoxing. It's the time of the year where your body detoxes, right? Well, if they know that's happening, they can say, oh, that's flu season, and everyone's passing around these flu, these viruses, and we have to get – dude, that nailed it right there. That is what you <laughs> well, said right well, there. Well, to make it even scarier for you, too, that in the very near future, maybe even right now, AI is going to be able to predict those patterns way better than any analyst yeah. on the planet ever would be able to. So in, in a very near future, the literal uh, version of that quote of advanced technology – indistinguishable magic technology might just legit be the new Nostradamus and start predicting things because it just, it can see the patterns in a billion more ways than a person could see it. So it knows it's going to happen or is more accurate. So, but, but here, let me, let me I tack mean, on two kind of like uh, bullets on this because that third law of advanced technology looking like magic, there's kind of a, a variation on it called Hanlon's razor. And this one I don't agree with, but a lot of people do out there. And it's almost like an anti-conspiracy theorist approach. So I want to state it. And, and Hanlon's razor is that you should never attribute malice when stupidity will suffice. You might have heard this in some <laughs> different form. I don't I don't believe that at all, um, because that's almost like like a conspiratorial mindset. That's giving people the benefit of the doubt every single time. And I yes. kind of do the inverse of that. Yeah. So there's an even better one. And this is where this tangent ends, but it's called Gray's Law. And it's a modification of that. And it says that any sufficiently advanced incompetence is indistinguishable from malice. So it's like the I same like thing of, you know, one. advanced technology looks like magic. Like, and I don't care how dumb you are. Or if you claim that you didn't know if the end result was a malice, you know, horrible, then it might as well have been you intentionally making malice versus I can't assume your intention. It is my opinion on uh, when someone with special needs commits like a violent crime, let's say murder. And they're like, we can't try me a special needs. I'm like, yeah, that's good until there's murder. <laughs> and then it doesn't matter what his like intelligence is. He committed murder. You know, he's smart enough to commit the crime of taking somebody's life that fits gray's law in a way that i've never considered it before yeah. you know i know it sounds nuts but it's like i really do believe that i mean i believe you know you a lot of stuff that we have to understand the needs of special people but you know if you murder somebody that's like okay wrap it up time to go here it's like <laughs> you know your blunt force trauma here uh which is super interesting and you know it's like i have another show conspiracy social club and uh brian callen that's his whole belief is that people just are stupid and they don't see it and i go well well what's the, the difference what's the difference is the, no, is the argument here right but the problem is is that when you want to just blame it on stupidity how come it always falls the same way right i mean it always falls for more power and more money <laughs> for the rich people, right? Oops, it's like, someone accidentally gave everyone more freedom, man. <laughs> yeah. Oh my That's God. Everybody's just doing more stuff that they really someone want. Made a we, typo we, now, like, oh, drugs are legal because they yeah. made an accident. Right? Yeah, that it never, never goes that, never that way where we got more freedoms and less taxes. It always goes the other way every time. So that's my, my big problem with that. And it's like, so we have this thing with like Fauci and like, oh man, AZT actually killed them. I guess he made a mistake. And now we have what's it called, uh, Johnny Re Resden Resdemir. 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 
Rendezvous and it's the exact same game plan taking a drug that killed people for something else and giving them to for something else and oh my god they killed people again it's like I, you know is that stupidity or is that malice that's that's the whole thing well and, and i find people kind of fall into these two can like I, i'm not mer- uh, really binary of like putting everyone in categories but this is one it's almost like a litmus test right like yeah. do you give people the benefit of the doubt and say eh, maybe they're just dumb and they didn't know what they're doing or do you say i don't care it was horrible so that makes them horrible it's not that dramatic but that's kind of the the line in right the sand, right, right. I, I, but it, you know it's also my theory if you're constant you know in recovery i say this all the time in recovery, dude, there's a four step and you write down all your resentments and then you do the fifth step and you write down where you thought you wronged a bunch of people. And what you start to realize is the one common denominator and all that is you, right? You know, <laughs> you might be your biggest problem. And, it, you know, and that's my whole thing. If the same people keep doing the same things over and over again, like how can you excuse stupidity? As as a reason, it's like at some point it seems like it's more purposeful, in my humble opinion. If it's I a- go on a whole tangent on that too, because I've I've been through some of those programs as well, and I've I really do firmly believe. First, it's ironic that those programs started with LSD trips, but that aside, no, 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 that's uh, a big thing nobody <laughs> talks about. Yeah, how I do, yeah. Well, he doesn't close- want it. He doesn't want it to come out. He tried to hide it from how it came out, right? Yeah, the, well, the there thing? would be no Alcoholics Anonymous and therefore no Narcotics Anonymous if the guy that started it hadn't done an LSD and had this crazy trip. But but I the reason I mentioned that is because what you were saying, Sam, is that it it's, makes you think about you and a lot of people that's the first time that they've ever had like true introspection, especially if you're like a crazy extrovert that's always been living for like the outside world. If you got to like shack up and become a hermit and start thinking about how your actions affect other people and not the other way around, that's almost like the, you know, like a crazy indoor LSD trip, right? Where you're just like, I can't stop thinking about everything going on inside of here. So the the steps almost recreate that. Well, there was a huge battle in AA. Because, you know, Bill, I believe it was Bill that was, uh, you know, he wanted people at the end of the 12 steps to drop acid and do mushrooms and have a second. Imagine that? <laughs> and there was a huge battle over that. And he they, he almost got an ousted and they came to, you know, having uh, having a spiritual awakening. They changed it to. But he wanted you to do acid and. You know, so or, or do do shrooms. I wouldn't recommend <laughs> that unless that's your program, you know, but um, it's a super interesting part, dude. And, you know, I, I don't necessarily think that acid is the reason he came up with it. I think he did acid. But I, when I study the 12 steps, I go, this sounds a lot like Buddhism. This sounds a lot like um, the hermetic principles. I think there was a lot of spirituality that went into it. People, yeah, always, I might say that acid might have been that thing that made all, everything click and click, spawn maybe, yeah, that but, idea. You know, it was like the dude that they come up with the uh, the the double helix uh, structure for DNA was on an LSD trip, and I don't think the trip made him see that, but it took right. all these. Parts that might have been just like this abstract dream and like they all connected together, you know, for sure. And, and, you know, I always credit shrooms for a big psychological change in my life. So we got to We got to save this for another episode because we can. get. I I love it because I'm like, okay, we got to get back to Disney. But I can talk about forever. So let's 
Let me go pull on. It to I'm going to shut up for a while. <laughs> I'll, I'll bring it to Brothers Grimm because this is where it all kind of starts. And without Brothers Grimm, there'd be no Disney movies as we know them. And the, the one thing that I, that I think is one of the most interesting about Brothers Grimm is everyone, almost everyone knows about their fairy tales. And that this is where, you know, like Snow White and, and so many other ones came from Bambi. There's like a long list of them, Sleeping Beauty. But what they actually started out as were lawyers and they've got some even more serious work. One of them did a, a full study on the Germanic language at a time when um, the, the culture was kind of scattered and broken apart. There was different parts of Prussia and Austria and Bavaria and um, some parts of Slovenia that all kind of shared the original source, like stories and culture, but they kept getting splintered because, you know, new countries and new rulers kept forming and pushing them apart. And it was very scattered. And there's there's some arguments that I've come across, but I'm not a, an expert on it, but that without these guys going essentially door to door for like three or four years and they just talked to, you know, the old lady in the middle of the woods and they got all of her stories and they compiled hundreds of these and they, they put them all together. In addition to this, they had a whole compendium of like Germanic mythology that almost got lost to time. And another one that's really cool that gets into Freemasonry and Rosicrucianism is that they did a full study on like Germanic customs within like the legal process. But when you read into the history of it, it kind of starts with like these warrior guilds that had these ceremonial magic, you know, initiations and the warrior guilds left over time as people became more civilized and it turned into the trade guilds. And then the trade guilds specifically went into what they call operative masonry and then speculative. So there's this direct line where, very possibly we might not have even Freemasonry today as we know it without the brothers Grimm putting together all these Germanic ideas. Uh, now this isn't, you know, written in stone. There's a lot of different uh, culminations of, of the research, but this one was mind blowing. And on top of that, there's a very strong case that the brothers Grimm were at least aware of or deep into Rosicrucianism um, to the society of the Rosy cross. So we've got, again, we've got these like secret society, uh, roots and pagan mythology roots. And this is where all of the stories kind of came from. So the, the very first movie, the first um, the theatrical production movie from Disney was Snow White. And this is one of them that kind of came from these, uh, these Germanic stories. And I think there was like four or five versions of it, but uh, Disney's is kind of considered like the best version, the one that they animated from it. Um, so, so first of all, I want to just see if you guys have any thoughts at all on, on um, Brothers Grimm or like cool anecdotes that you've heard about Brothers Grimm because they have like their own topic and it's, you know, its own right. No, I'd love to get into all that. And I'm just looking at some of the, uh, the Rosicrucians, um, their, their, their books, their symbolism. I find it so interesting, dude. I just find it like, you know, like, the, de the the centralization of the internet, I think, has done a lot of damage. I also think the centralization of, of religion and spirituality has caused us to lose some pretty amazing ideas or not be able to focus on that, you know, to understand them and learn them. And that, you know, at, you know, me talking to you right now, I, I'm just starting to see this, all this cool shit that, like, nobody really even told me about that I kind of want to go and start studying now just Dude, but brother brothers grim without the brothers grim there's a chance that there might not even be a unified germanic culture as we know it today like they're 
their work outside of the fairy tale stuff, which is already like a seminal important work, but everything else they did, it formed, you know, Germany's modern national identity. And imagine everything that came out of Germany having a strong national identity in, you know, the, the early 19th century. So <laughs> was everything they wrote so dark? Oh, well, so they didn't write almost any of it. It was, again, just a collection of stories from, you know, people oh, in the woods and traveling the countryside. But, yeah, they were extremely dark. Like one of the examples is that the original Snow White in the movie, the the queen um, asked for like her heart. But it's sort of like this metaphorical, a little bit gruesome. But in the, the stories, she specifically asked for like her liver and like like very specific organs. And when they came to her, she like cooked it up in salt and fried it and ate it. Um, so a lot of the stories were were definitely dark. Um, that that's the least shocking part of it, though. Is just like Hannibal Lecter. You know, things were way rougher back then. So, <laughs> well, uh, dude, uh, so many of those stories were just tales to like scare children not to make these kind of crazy mistakes, <laughs> right? I mean, Hansel and Gretel. I mean, take a look at that. Uh, that like, that reminds me of a whole different tangent that I came across, but that there is an unnatural, like more than just a coincidence people in uh, folk tales that are named John and, and variations of that you've got Hansel, Ivan, um, Johan, like so many of them, Jonas, these are all based on the name John. And I don't, I don't know what the threat is, but it's, it's more than that just makes a regular coincidence. So there's something about that, that name, John, and it, it goes back to, I think to like John the Baptist and John the evangelist, like that name, John, has some kind of weight to it for some reason. It's so crazy how everything goes back. And then, you know, even when you get into like, you know, movies and all this symbolism, it's like the detail into that is so crazy. And so, how so that's like, a, this is a perfect segue. This is a perfect segue into what I was talking before about movie magic. So we're working in animation. Um, I, I don't want to make the assumption that everyone knows this. So one of the things to keep in mind here is that when you're working on an animated movie and Disney was was almost a trailblazer at this point where they actually drew 24 frames for every one second of animation. Almost yeah. every other animation studio at his time in the 30s, they kind of doubled it up. They, they drew 12 frames per second and then they would just kind of like shoot the same frame twice and it didn't give it as much of a fluid look. And the reason that I mentioned this, if you take like a two hour or an hour and a half long movie like Snow White um, and you multiply the number of frames times the number of seconds by 24, these guys literally were drawing like over 200,000 images, um, you know, when they were doing this. So first of all, there's nothing that really like sneaks by like, oops, we accidentally made this like a yeah. cult symbol because right. you had to draw it like right. thousands of times in a row for it to be there, you know? Um, and then the other thing is, and I was mentioning a strong correlation to Disney movies and ceremonial magic. So, again, I've got a loose interpretation of what magic is. I'm not like woo woo about it. But my understanding is that ceremonial magic has a couple components to it. The first one is that the more you repeat it, it's almost like this Tesla, re, you know, coil reverberance um, thing where like I send this ceremonial magic out by performing a ritual. And then if I do it every year, it's like the energy comes back. I do the ritual. I send it back out. It comes back twice as strong and you repeat that process. So if you keep a ritual going for hundreds of years or thousands of years, it just keeps getting stronger and stronger. And it's literally 
you know, amplifying this like unforeseen energy back and forth. So if you take that concept of what an actual, you know, ceremonial magic ritual is based on now think about a Disney movie, right? It's got like this, these songs that a kid will put it in a hundred times and they'll listen and they'll memorize yeah. all the songs on top of that. One of the things that magic does is it puts you into different States in a predictable and formulaic way. So it's like, I want to be productive or I want to be, assertive or i want to be more receptive you can do like a ceremonial magic that puts you into those states of being but what about a disney movie you know it gets to that scene in pinocchio where he gets kidnapped well that's a formulaic planned way to put you in a very specific emotional state receptive to certain you know images and it's going along with um music color flashes so like these things together it would be very hard to convince me that this is not in some way de facto serial magic even if someone didn't sit down and write this out to be ceremonial magic, it just is because of how it's used and the end results of it. You know, I mean, like, you know, when John Lennon's saying shoot him, you know, it's just like in that in that song and that's played over and 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 over again. It's like you're putting that energy out. He manifested reality, essentially, right? Right. I mean, we talk about Tupac Biggie. They did it. They just kept singing about that. People played it over and over. And guess what happened? They ended up getting shot. <laughs> so, I mean, I would. That, those are good cases, too. Of that could possibly be like a mantra or like a ceremonial ritual, you know, I, statement. Uh, it's like a spell going out. I mean, you just take a look at like all like how pop culture is and like the energy that's out there and what people like watch and consume and they watch it over and over and over. And we live in a very, we're very much monkey see monkey do. So we end up doing the stuff that we end up seeing. And that's why, you know, I, I forget what the Instagram video was, but it was like, it was an old eighties video of kids dancing. And then it's like, the, the lyrics they're answer, actually dancing to in these rap songs are like so dark and like <laughs> vicious. And is like, this a remix or, or an actual one? No, it was, uh, someone had taken a funny video of kids yeah. in sleep. Yeah, no, one, one of my favorites is from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Christmas special, and they, they lay it over with like Triple Six Mafia. Yeah. I think it's one of those. It's just like that. I mean, triple, you remember when the triple six mafia just got accused of being same worshipers and you're like, what's their name? They're like triple yeah. six. They really snuck that one right by, right? No, but I never <laughs> noticed that. I go, Oh my God. You never That's noticed right. that. <laughs> Did you guys notice that? Yeah, That's a white guy thing. Yeah. I noticed that right off the bat. Really? It's kind of the first. It's kind of the first part of their name. Honestly, did you notice that three, six mafia? No, I, I never even thought about it. That's yeah, funny. there you go. That's funny. There you go. <laughs> oh my god. That's so, so, so anyways, let me let me circle back to, to Snow White <laughs> here to, from Triple Six Mafia. So, so I'm, I'm trying to make the point that it's very hard to just like accidentally. Oops, we added some occult symbolism into this, and we drew it, you know, hundreds of times, and no one noticed. Um, and then on top of that, this Snow White being his first movie. It is absolutely just like steeped in blatant occultism. Like it's not even like subliminal or like slipped in there. The very opening scene, it's got the evil witch walking up to her big mirror and it's, you know, encrusted in um, zodiac symbols. 
and the whole movie if you notice even if when they're not singing everything rhymes and it starts with this spell that she says that's almost like rhymes but the whole entire movie kind of continues in that whole rhyming fashion um so like there's it starts immediately and you just kind of see these esoteric symbols and another cool thing that a lot of people don't realize is in the 1930s and the early um in the late 19th century and the early 20th occult uh information and like occult studies were not ta- you know taboo as much as maybe even today it was like the cool thing to talk about because they were unearthing these egyptian tombs and reading you know hieroglyphics and like manly p hall was writing in the paper and albert pike was writing about freemasonry in the paper like you just open the normal sunday paper and there might be a whole article on freemasonry and the god moloch and all these pagan things going on they talked about the bavarian illuminati in like 1918 in just a regular paper. So, so these topics weren't like things that no one already knew about, you know, it was kind of already in popular culture at the time. And I, I think a lot of people make it seem like, Oh, in 1990s and 2000, you know, all these pagan gods had this resurgence of anything. Uh, the pagan gods were more popular than ever. And like that art nouveau uh, sort of time period, you know, I always think that every generation has to go a little farther, even if it's incremental, tiny bit, a little bit more than the generation before them. And you kind of see that with like, like liberalism forever. Liberalism was like live and let live. And then we kind of got to this place where it's like everybody is somewhat allowed to do what they want to do. But then the next generation has to go a little bit farther, a little bit farther. And now we got like kindergarten teachers want to talk to their, their kindergartners <laughs> about fucking, uh, you know, gay bathhouse action. So it's like, that's just where it just keeps getting a little bit. So like they had to be more and more clever with how they hit it before. And now maybe although in like ancient Rome, right? Like part of the, the intern process, there was a, a big lawyer in town. Um, if you wanted to be like the next big lawyer and you're, you know, your family wants you to be the next big lawyer, you might end up being his 12 year old boy toy uh, for right. the next like five or six years, because in because like internships back then sort of worked like yeah, much different, yeah. much different, <laughs> and they didn't really hide oh, it. We're that so was like lucky. A no- we're so lucky. Yeah, fam. you two we're guys so are lucky. lucky. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a nice guy. <laughs> so so back to Snow White again. I mentioned that the the first time the movie even opens, we see magic spells and we see the queen talking into this mirror. And, and there's a really cool Rosicrucian element that goes into like the whole mirror concept as itself. But it's, it's interesting because the queen starts with a spell. And then the first time we see Snow White, the very first words out of her mouth are, do you want to know a secret? Can you promise not to tell? And then it starts um, rhyming about the wishing well and whatnot. But she talks about that if you make a wish into this well and you hear it echo, then you know your wish is going to come true. Um, and the this is this noteworthy because this is her casting a spell and immediately after she says this a white prince on a white horse comes running over like she immediately manifested this spell that she just cast into the well which you want to get like deep into Jungian and freud stuff like the well is essentially um that feminine energy right it's like a big vagina big stone vagina with water in the middle that life comes out of so she's these making this incantations to this like feminine um, earth mother spirit 
and it immediately works and it freaks her the hell out. She runs into the castle and she hides from this guy because she can't believe that, you know, she actually just summoned magic and it worked for the first time. Um, so, so I want to make this point that none of this is hidden. Like these are actual spells she's doing. There's Zodiac symbols. I mean, they're literal spells that are rhyming. It's not yes. like subversive, right? Like what, what, like, you know, we, we had the fairies and what, how, how Disney sold us what fairies were like and what fairies might really be like. If you're, if you believe in cryptids and all that stuff and all the wands and the stars and oh, all they're that nice. stuff. They're nice. You don't, you don't, you don't like Tinkerbell, Sam? I like <laughs> Tinkerbell. <laughs> and just fucking drops thing around. Yeah. But like, what, what in real life are fairies like? You've seen depictions that they're a little bit more. Ah, uh, they have a little bit more edge to them, let's say. Well, we're gonna bit- we're gonna get into Pinocchio, which has the blue fairy, which is like all the right. OG blue fairy. All uh, right, so all so right. a couple quick notes on on Snow White that, that I think might help blow your mind a little bit. So the seven dwarves, right? These dwarves are literal earth elementals, and this is based on earth elemental magic or just the concepts. And this is because there's a couple key parts in the movie that really explain this. One is that they've never touched water before, which is a, a very, you know, direct correlation of like the four elements. These are like the earth elements and they've never touched water because they haven't had this human consciousness come down in the form of Snow White. And she's the one that unifies all these different elements of nature. So um, they go down into the depths of the earth trying to pick out gems. And they, they claim themselves in the movie that they don't know what the gems are for. They just know that this is what they do all day mm. in and out. They go down to the darkness of the earth and come back out with these gems. So when Snow White comes and interacts with them, she sort of is like this, this representation of that, that human like God element, you know, Christ consciousness or whatever you want to call it. Um, coming in and interacting with earth elementals. So again, this is like, it's almost like ceremonial magic, but it's a, it's a story about how this uh, Christ consciousness or, you know, human intellect gets brought down to the planet earth. And another correlation is if you look at it from Rosicrucian or alchemical, the seven dwarves could be the seven classic planets Um, and the seven classic planets. I, I can't list them all in order, but it was like the observable planets. So for example, like the moon, they used to consider a planet and everything else. But um, this was a, just another like very common theme where the number seven would tend to represent the planets and in that represent different kind of like archetypes and, and exactly what were the seven dwarves. Each one represented a very specific archetype, you know, being grumpy, being dopey, being sleepy. Uh, so, so this is all like alchemical Rosicrucian research that's only very thinly veiled. And because of Walt Disney's Demolay history. What about the seven deadly sins? And you have like, you know, you have like sleepy, which is like what? You That's know? a sloth. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's super interesting, man. It's it's never just what it is. Like everything is super duper thought out. And Demole, part of their initiation ritual, which is not something you'd ever forget as a 19 year old kid going through these initiation rituals, it would just embed itself in your mind. And they have these seven cardinal virtues that are represented by candles or lights or columns or something. So this, this number seven, again, there's not a lot of coincidence that's happening between the animation, between the writing, between the, the links that you can kind of make between it all. 
Um, and I've I've got to I'm trying not to read off my notes and just kind of look at Dude, some read off your notes. So I've I've got some actual quotes here from a guy named Franz Barden, and he was a German Rosicrucian that was credited for writing a whole bunch of really um, classic like hermetic teachings. Uh, what's interesting is a lot of them were published in like the 1950s, but there's stories that sound a little bit BS, but they might be true. But that when he was like 12 or 14 years old he kind of like auto dictated these volumes of work on Rosicrucianism. Um, so maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. If it's true, then he wrote this before Snow White and the Seven Doors came out. If it's not true, then he wrote it right at the time when he had like seen it in the theaters in like the thirties. Cause he was like that age to have seen that, but he writes specifically about gnomes and these seven dwarves that Gnomes are little people similar to the elves and fairy tales. Usually they have long beards and they wear caps with long hair, flashing eyes and garments or frocks. And that every earth spirit carries a small lantern and each lantern has a different luminosity. I mean, this is, this is alchemical speaking in that, you know, they each have like a different color assigned and a different frequency. And they represent again, might be the classic seven planets. And then he mentions that, as soon as the gnomes are convinced that a magician superior to them and in intelligence and willpower, they will derive happiness from that relationship and become the most obedient of servants. And this is exactly what Snow White is. She's this, this magician that's superior to all of them because she commands all four elements plus, you know, human intellect. So they become, you know, her sort of like servants immediately. And it, it fits directly into this Rosicrucian teachings. Like how, how similar are these two things that they just line up perfectly? Damn, you know? dude, she's a witch. She, well, she she's uh, humanity. Her her stepmother's the witch because um, her stepmother's the one that makes use of dark arts for nefarious purposes and malice. Whereas so she, she's, but she's a magician, though. She's a she's white used, witch. She's you know she's like a, a like witch. Wizard of Oz, yeah. So her stepmother's the black witch. She's the white witch. It's this you know this rival polarity of like white magic, black magic. Hers is good. And, and also to emphasize, she's kind of like in tune with nature because she immediately starts talking to animals. She's singing with bluebirds. She's talking to have like rabbits come and talk to her and, and deer come and talk to her. So this is like her being initiated, uh, initiated into like earth magic and almost like Wiccan nature magic um, versus this very malevolent magic that's coming after her. That's crazy, dude. So, so I got a couple other notes from this guy, um, Bardon, and he mentions that uh, um, it's well known that the difference between the spirit of the elements and the human being lies with the fact that the spirit of the elements consists of only one, whereas the human being is all four. And again, this is talking about how they had never touched water before because they specifically are earth elementals representing earth magic. Um, and this guy writes uh, a book called The Key to the True Kabbalah. And this is aside from the, the gnome um, mentioning, but he says that the highest levels of magical attainment are understood through the, the manipulation of sound, color, number, and vibration. And again, this being Snow White, the first full color, full length, synchronized animation movie, like this was literal magic at the time. You know, no, like kids had never seen something like this before. Imagine bringing your kid who'd only ever seen like tiny little short six or seven minute clips that had a certain amount of rotoscoping um, or it was all in black and white. And now it's like this full featured animation with, you know, crazy um, archetypes and, and storylines. It was, it had to be mind blowing. I mean, I, I wish almost that I was a little kid that could like see one of these for the first time on the big screen. Right. 
My first movie I ever saw in my life was Peter Pan. First movie I ever saw in the movie. So you probably got a special place in your heart for that one, right? Oh, yeah, for sure, man. I was like <laughs> blown away what my grandma brought me. It was crazy. I got sent to uh, The Lion King. You know how sad that is your dad dying? That's what you see. It's fucking Simba. Simba's dad dies. Super traumatic. And you're there like, where's my it, dad? It is crazy how much that is in the, these movies for children. Land Before Time. That was the one that got me. I was. I was oh, my God. Know, that so, was oh. that, that wasn't Disney, though, right? That was a Don Bluth. Uh, cartoon, yeah, you're right. But yeah, I mean, that one was just. Yeah, bro, man. Little, little foot, bro. Little. Yeah. Foot, man. <laughs> <It was> like, <laughs> kill, I mean, it made me cry and cry as a kid. <laughs> uh, so. So I wanted to point to this is like some subtle clips because I, I tried watching all of Snow White um, before we we met up to talk to see if there's anything like cool that I could notice. So this is where some stuff that you might not have heard before hopefully can come in. If you haven't already heard some of the stuff that I mentioned, but in one of the opening scenes, the witch actually goes up to her bookshelf and there's books there that listed and they say black arts, alchemy, black magic, disguises, sorcery, yeah. poisons. Yeah. Um, there's like a little skull with like a snake on it. And later there's an apple that has a worm that kind of looks like that snake. Um, and this reminded me in this total tangential thing, but that the, the word gift um, in German and a lot of Germanic languages is poison or, you know, the word like our word for poison is gift um, in German and a lot of those other languages. And it, and it actually goes back to this concept of, you know, giving people something and then that might end up being poison because of this folklore connection and other things that are related to it, which I, it blew my mind. Cause I thought I was watching something. I thought it was mistranslated. And I went down this rabbit hole and it, you know, blew my mind that, you know, gift does mean gift, but it also means poison. And they're, they're like the same word almost unbelievable dude. so so the um the evil stepmother the evil witch all another really cool thing is on the very first opening screen of the movie where they're they have like you know once upon a time blah 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 they've got a little picture of the witch and a little peacock under her and it didn't seem like anything at first but then the next big scene after she's in the mirror she's sitting on this huge throne with like this big peacock with the feathers splayed out behind her you know it's very very grand hard to ignore so i started looking into the research of like well if all these things are alchemical symbols what did the peacock specifically represent at that time in like the the medieval ages so again we were talking about this living forever and never aging and i couldn't shave my beard which i'm still salty about you know over a decade later um, but that the meaning of the peacock at that time represented immortality and resurrection almost like a phoenix and the reason why it, it represented these things isn't just arbitrary. It was because when they died, they would shed all their feathers and then they would actually like come even more to life. Like the colors would look like they were coming even more to life. And there was also, they all have this little like eyeball pattern at the very yeah. top. So a lot of people came to refer to the peacock as the all seeing eye. Um, and it had a lot of this like evil eye symbolism that got merged together with it. So all I see in watching this movie is the queen sitting on her throne of the all seeing eye, um, kind of like giving these commands out and wanting to, to send out. And her representation here is kind of the ego. So it's this ego that stands into the mirror and it says, tell me who's the, the dopest one out there. Who's the most pretty. And it's like a, a good correlation, like social media, right? Like you post a picture or something yeah, like, yeah. Hey, here I am. You know, yeah, yeah, I'm looking yeah. good. And you post it. And you really are like, who's the fairest one of them all? And you want all these comments to come back and say, oh, you are. You're so hot. 
I mean, this is almost a direct relationship that I can't unsee of this magic mirror of, and again, magic. It's like, I just want to put my, this is a Rosicrucian idea of like incantations aren't you necessarily like summing a spirit. It's you taking your ego and putting it out there and imagining how it would um, embody some other form and then calling your ego back. And you're supposed to call it back with like a dominant uh, force. Like, you know, you're, you're the one in charge here because if you don't be dominant with it, it can come back and take over you. This is kind of like um, hermetic Rosicrucian uh, concepts. But again, like I can't not imagine this as being the magic mirror and the social media kind of correlation. Um, so that this, this one kind of just like fascinated me beyond belief. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's all there, dude. It's just like so crazy how it's like, and that's the beauty of the internet, man, is like we get to find out, you know, we get a permanent record that other, like the internet is based like Wikipedia where everyone could add their their knowledge they got to this story and we get start to get a real big understanding of what exactly has been being done why we maybe really it depends on who's allowed to edit that wikipedia page well, that's, that's a big too. part of it that's true too that's, that's true where, too. that's where we go into the dead internet we're like where the fuck are the links at who's deleting that shit yeah Maybe not really, but possibly for sure. <laughs> I mean, I, I remember in 2006, <laughs> I was like, I tried to, to become part of like the Wikipedia editor Illuminati or whatever, yeah. only because I kept seeing articles that I liked getting moved off. And there was one on like MK Ultra, Project Monarch, Paul Bonacci, um, Johnny Gosh. I don't know if you guys know any of these names, but all of their pages over the course of like three or four years got consolidated into like a little footnote somewhere. Um, and it was also uh, Lawrence Franklin's the Franklin scandal stuff. Yeah, for then, sure, dude. And then the Lawrence Franklin page used to have a page with pictures of yeah. him and all this stuff. And then it was like a sentence. And then that got moved onto like another page. And now they're all kind of like baked in. You can go back and see in like 2006, 2007, all the edits that were made, but it's gone. And as far as the internet cares, you know, Franklin didn't exist. And Paul yeah, Bonacci go, didn't exist. Go try to find a nice breakdown of the cops involved with Wiener's uh, laptop and then <laughs> find out how many of them are still alive. And it's just like, you can't find that. The, the, the story of them uh, telling um, who is the FBI guy that um, was running at that point, stepped down. What's his name, man? Uh, that was the big FBI guy that oh, reopened um, Clinton's, uh, investigation like two weeks before the election, and Mueller? that oh Comey. yeah, Comey, no right? Comey, 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 right. and uh, you know, there's a whole story about why he ended up opening that two weeks before, and there's pressure from the New York, the NYPD about what they found on this laptop, and that's the story. You can't find any of those links anymore. Those are done. When we yeah, the, the internet felt somehow bigger in the late nineties than it well, does. Because it was, you know, thirty years yeah, later. Because they made it. Because they made everything into Instagram and Twitter. Instead of everybody having their websites, you just yeah. go to oh, Instagram, yeah. Twitter. My links are on Instagram and Twitter instead yeah, of go to samtriplee.com. Yeah, yeah. In instead of going on GeoCities and making your own website. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, and it's well. You also get into the fact that you know we're in a real nineteen eighty four here, right? And how they're just eliminating information they don't want you to have anymore. And, you know, this does go back to now where where he's talking about the dead Internet, where they're just getting rid of stories and links 
So you can't find any of this information. And I bring uh, up that Gray's law again, too, right? That that um, it's indistinguishable from malice. The end result is that it's making everyone dumber and suppressing information. And on, on the conspiracy theory note, I'm a firm believer that conspiracy theories don't exist unless there's two things. One is has to be mistrust and the other one has to be low information. So if you're fully transparent and you put a plenty of information out, then you might people like not trust the information, but it's not going to have as many conspiracy theories. But if you don't do either of those, you're just inviting speculation and you're, you're daring people to come up with crazy ideas. You know what I mean? It's almost the Streisand effect, right? Yeah. yeah, It's a good, it's a good way. Yeah. The more you try to control it, the more people want to look into it. (laughs) And it's it's like with information on Yeah. So yeah, 100%. So you mentioned Pinocchio and Pinocchio is probably the, the coolest one here because I think it's got, uh, again, I, I wouldn't say dark, but it's got very like esoteric and occult symbolism. Um, and it's been covered by a number of people. But I, again, I, I hope I've got a couple things that'll that'll be you've never even heard before, even if you've you know watched all the videos and read all of the, the articles online. So at, at the risk of not glossing over some of the more interesting stuff you might have heard, I'll, I'll kind of like rapid fire some of the interesting points. So the first one was that the guy that actually wrote the original story of Pinocchio he was a very like a uh, satirical political writer. Um, he was like real big into like social movements and political movements. And I think Pinocchio was almost like a departure from that. It was like his way of kind of making like a silly little comic book and not, or, or a silly little story rather that had some illustrations and not be just like nonstop, you know, writing about Biden versus Trump or whatever. It was like, I'm going to write a cool little story that maybe incorporates some of this. Well, this guy was, uh, again, a Freemason, which is going to be a, a recurring theme almost constantly. Um, and because it was typically if you were like a, a well-to-do anything, you became part of one of these guilds just because of like the social networking aspect. And, you know, they didn't have a LinkedIn. So Freemasonry mm-hmm. was the LinkedIn in some regards back then. Um, but on top of that, this guy that, that wrote the story, his name was Carlo Lorenzini and his pen name was Carlo Collodi. And he was he he was a self-proclaimed disciple of Mazzini. And I don't know if you guys know who Giuseppe Mazzini is. Does that name ring any bells? No. no. So so depending on the research, when the Bavarian Illuminati ended sometime in the late um, 1800s, it moved the, the power um, vacuum moved from the Bavarian Illuminati into the Carbonari or part of it, which was in Italy. And the Carbonari was another like very Masonic secret society and they would go out in the middle of the woods and it was called the charcoal burners because they would literally meet out in the middle of the woods and have a campfire and kind of like discuss what the political actions were going to be. So the guy that wrote, uh, and there's a direct link between the Illuminati, Mazzini and Albert Pike, which is the forefather of like Scottish right Freemasonry in the United States. But there's this direct lineage and the guy that wrote Pinocchio was a hardcore professed um, fan of Mazzini and the name Pinocchio Pino is actually a like a nickname for saying Giuseppe um, and it could arguably came from his love of Giuseppe Mazzini so Pinocchio himself is named after a guy that has direct lineage to the Bavarian Illuminati which I think is is beyond fascinating yeah that, um, well I mean the Illuminati symbolism all through Disney for sure yeah, yeah, DuckTales. I'm going to get a DuckTales was which was my favorite one. DuckTales uh, has lemon We're going we'll get there. That's well, that's going to no be the cherry on top. <laughs> That'll be the cherry on top at the end of this. So so Pino in addition to being a, a short name for Giuseppe, 
um, it also means pine or like pine tree. And then Okio means eye. So you literally have the name Pinocchio, meaning pine eye or like the, you know, the pineal gland, which is your third eye inside the head. So this was like a really cool, interesting. And, and it's not like no one knew about the pineal gland in 1940s or whatever. Um, or even in the 1800s when this guy wrote this, the pineal gland was discovered earlier than the 1700s. So they, they already knew about the pineal gland and had all sorts of like uh, mythological explanations for it. So Pinocchio is both perhaps named after lineage of the Bavarian Illuminati and something to do with the pineal gland, which kind of blew my mind. Um, and then this is, it gets more interesting from there and it doesn't stop. So Giuseppe, um, or sorry, Geppetto, the guy that actually makes Pinocchio, right? He's a craftsman. He's an artisan. The Greek word for craftsman and artisan is demiurge. So we have this Geppetto creating this, you know, flawed human looking character, but it's, it's missing, you know, the actual spark of life. So in, in a very Gnostic sense, Geppetto is this demiurge creating this flawed, you know, human being. But it, it doesn't come to life. It's just still a marionette. And this is when he goes to the window and he wishes upon a star. And if you follow like a Freemasonry link, this could be like that North Star or like the um, the Promethean fire or the, the star of Lucifer. You know, this is like that human intellect. And it comes down into the window and she taps on Pinocchio, sort of like imbibing him with this spirit. So this is very much an occult story about the demiurge making a, a person out of mud or out of wood and then bringing human intellect into it and giving it free will Damn, and setting it out dude, across the that's world. That's crazy. And, that's and this crazy. isn't easy. I hate it when I hear people talk about this kind of stuff and it's like, dude, you're fucking reaching so far into like places to bring it. But again, you know, Disney Demole, like he, he already understood all of these references um, the guy that wrote the original Pinocchio, direct um, lineage to Bavarian Illuminati and, and the Carbonari secret societies. So it's, it doesn't seem far-fetched at all that they understood these symbols that they were drawing in here. Um, so so that, Geppetto, that Geppetto, we have Geppetto who wants a, a, a real boy. That that has some darkness to it, right? <laughs> Would you? Maybe, I don't know. because. Wants a real boy. <laughs> I mean, it's it's P E T T O, but maybe I don't know. Well, what about Pleasure Island? Yeah, I mean, there we get some Epstein Island. So, so Pleasure on. Island again has some some really interesting beyond the Epstein Island and like kid diddling stuff. The the Pleasure Island I think has even more deeper esoteric meaning to that. So okay, so the Pinocchio starts as this marionette created for the demiurge. He needs to have. Um, human intellect come through Prometheus or Lucifer or whatever the North Star this is the magic being put into it now it's got human intellect but now it's full of flaws and free will and Pinocchio eventually gets sucked into going off to Pleasure Island and then what happens when they go to Pleasure Island they all turn into donkeys essentially right the, the creepy line is that no one goes to Pleasure Island and comes back a boy yeah. you know like they come back like a man ass. maybe or like they come yeah, back ass. ass but they literally come back as an ass but this if you if you <laughs> keep trying to pull it back to the Rosicrucian alchemical hermetic teachings there's a, a well-known hermetic story and I'm, I'll butcher the name of it but it's Apelius's the metamorphosis of the golden ass. And it's essentially about this guy that wants to be a wizard 
um, but he doesn't know what the hell he's doing and he's not disciplined and he accidentally turns himself into an ass. Um, and again, it's, it's the, the story, like the, the meaning of the story is supposed to be that, you know, stay on the track, focus yourself, focus your abilities. Otherwise you're just going to turn into an ass, but this is like almost exactly what happens to Pinocchio. He literally turns into an ass because um, his, his first mission after Geppetto sends him out into the world is go to school, get knowledge, you know, seek knowledge. It's almost, again, a reference to like the uh, seven liberal arts, the trivium and quadrivium. And immediately Pinocchio's like, fuck that. I want to go and smoke and drink and, and party, you know, at this thing. So he literally turned is that sorcerer that turns himself into an ass and has to kind of be steered back. And then the, the actually, I've got some a quote here from, Manly Palmer Hall, too. Uh, I don't know if anyone's a fan or like an anti-fan yeah. here. Yeah, I know. I know. Who he, yeah. So so the second big thing that happens after that, he goes back home and finds out Geppetto's gone and that Geppetto got eaten by this big whale. And this is a direct Jesus. reference to the story of Jonah and the whale. And he sits in the whale for three days. And this number three is impossible to ignore because it's like the number of initiation. He goes into the dark. He stays there for three days and comes out just like Jesus goes into the cave blocked by the rock. Three days pass. He comes out. It's the story of Midsummer, essentially, you know, Easter um, and Midsummer being this very important pagan holiday. And again, I, I'm, I always mentioned the name John Jonas, Jonas and the whale. This is just a variation of John and and talking about that, um, John the Baptist the um the actual feast of you know people would celebrate that was when the catholic church merged midsummer celebration with john the baptist uh feast festival so again this concept of jonas and the whale is a reference most likely to saint john's festival which in itself is a reference to the pagan midsummer right you know the, the horror movie midsummer where the girl goes out with like the flowers in her hair and it turns into like a big cult. That's what we're talking about. That's the midsummer. And that's that page. It's a disturbing ritual. film. It's so disturbing. Yeah. Great. I mean, I love, I love that kind of like me too. Sick, you know, it, it's, it's actually dark, scary. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. And the violence is so, I mean, it's just visceral. It, it really disturbed me. How old are you when you saw it, Johnny? Oh, it's not an old film. It's just a few, it's like three oh. years old, maybe something like that. Mm. But the first one, too, was really good. It was kind of about witchcraft, her, uh, hereditary, which is a fascinating concept yeah. of, of essentially that like magical kind of abilities are, are honed through like bloodlines and that, you know, like the grand the grandkids of a powerful magician, like they also have magic in like a very real way. Uh, yeah, man, highly recommended a little bit of attention. Well, I, I mean, the- like you see that happen where kids get into their their parents occupations mostly there's everyone believes it's because you know it's easy it's a path of least resistance but also they probably have that in their dna right i believe that that's there's not a lot of i don't know if there's a lot of scientific proof for that but i wholeheartedly believe that to the point where people are still named after what their ancestor did schumacher you know that guy's great great grandpa made shoes and um everything else that kind of goes with it baker I mean, they literally were bakers. So I think at a certain point, you know, you were just named it and it was part of your DNA. Although it would kind of suck if like your last name was blacksmith and you just wanted to like play video games all day. Right. (laughs) (laughs) 
So, so uh, some two notes here specifically, because I don't want to gloss over the importance of Geppetto getting eaten by the whale and this being a very occult direct topic, not, not a subtle one that you have to like read into. So Manly Palmer Hall uh, talks about Jonah and the whale. And he says that when it's used as a symbol of evil, the fish represents the earth, which is man's lower nature and the tomb, which is the sepulcher of mysteries. And then when Jonas um, was three days in the belly of this great fish, which might have been like Leviathan in the Bible, but and when he's in the belly of this great fish, just like Christ was three days in the womb, several early church fathers believed that the whale which swallowed Jonah was the symbol of God the Father, who was the hapless prophet thrown overboard, accepted Jonah into his own nature until a place of safety was reached. So this was almost like the, you know, God the Father taking his son back and it's got this really cool like occult symbolism to it and then um joseph campbell which is is like a non-conspiracy theorist guy does anyone familiar with joseph campbell at all no johnny is okay so um, my mom taught with him when she was in like in england so i grew up as a little kid like hearing his lectures and hearing about him all the time and he has this like grand unifying theory that every major myth is the same myth just you know like hero's journey that thing yeah oh yeah 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 so and so Joseph Campbell also talks about this and he links this same story of maybe not Geppetto, but of Jonah and the whale to the epic of Gilgamesh and where Gilgamesh has to go and get a plant from the bottom of the sea. And in the book of Jonah, the, the when he gets the plant, there's a worm there or a maggot and it bites the shade and it turns it into like a poison and it withers. And in the epic of Gilgamesh, he has to tie stones to his feet so he can get all the way down there and pick that plant. And when he gets up to the shore, he gets uh, the plant gets eaten by a serpent. So it's like the story has the same elements. A guy that goes to the bottom of the deep um, has to come back up with like some new thing and a big fish coming and swallowing him and preventing him and going through this phase of initiation. You kind of shuffle the pieces around. It's like a like Taco Bell of mythology, right? It's like the same five ingredients just arranged in different configurations. Right. They just retell every story. And it's my belief that's why we're starting to see more and more electronic music because they've used all the notes in every different possible way that we have to figure out new ways to make new sounds. Have you have you heard any AI music yet? No. Oh, no. Shit. So, so, bro, the, the total <laughs> tangent, but anyone listening out there, especially you guys, there's a song Fuck. called, I want to think it's called Taco Tuesday. No. And it's completely AI. So the AI writes the lyrics. The AI came up with the voices. And then I think someone made the actual music. But I think they've got like uh, Tupac and Biggie and like a whole bunch of rappers that, you know, are dead. And they all are rapping about Kanye West is in there. But they're rock- rapping about Taco Tuesday. <laughs> or, or it might be called Taco Day. Highly recommended. It'll It'll absolutely blow your mind. There's another one called the 27 club i think um and it's like every musician that's died um at the age 20 am i getting that number right is the 27 club yeah, um, yeah. but yeah, like 27 club yeah, yeah so so they've got a full album but it's just ai recreating what like kurt cobain would have wrote i've heard those yeah and that's those all AI. so and so what, i mean I, I firmly believe even though we might have like hit the limit of what people might come up with creatively i don't know if i agree with that but ai is going to surpass us like 
AI is eventually going to make media that you're not going to go on Netflix and say, hey, I want to watch this movie. You're going to say, I want to watch a movie about a vampire that does this. And it's got this soundtrack. And it's like, that's that's perfect for you, too. They already know it's tailored to your interests already. Because you wait 15 minutes and it's like rendering, rendering, rendering. Because like music now, think about like, I think it's Spotify or Apple Music. One of them has, it'll recommend you songs based on the things you like in songs like beats per minute. You know, the oh, instruments yeah. involved and eventually they're just going to be creating songs, oh, at, you know, on the spot that, that they know you'll love, you know, to sound dude, like the Beatles. What I've heard Spotify so algorithm point, knows yeah, me better than any, anybody <laughs> yeah, it's else. Amazing. It's amazing. Dude, and what I've heard up to this point is them taking like like Dylan, Bob Dylan song lyrics that were never put to music and then applying music to them. I've heard that. And I think I heard that with Cobain, too. Uh, yeah, but I, eventually, I mean, it will just be. You know, all original stuff that's it's mind blowing. I can't can't wait to be on Broken Sim and Sam's talking about his daughter's wanting tickets for this AI music and no one's playing (laughs) and he's flipping a bitch. How he's got to drop $300 tickets for some music. Oh, I can't wait for (laughs) that. It doesn't even exist. (laughs) It doesn't even exist. Sam's already mad. I'm going to buy these NFT tickets to get to the AI concert <laughs> in the metaverse. That's exactly how that's going to go down. It, co- it costs three crypto kitties to get in. <laughs> Which I've seen. I've seen concerts and sporting sporting events in VR are pretty cool. Like they have an NBA game every week in VR and you're just courtside. It's pretty. Once, once that, once the optics get to the point where it's nearly indistinguishable from reality, that's going to be fucking amazing. Sam, you, you, honestly, that's that's where they're going to get people like us is where you can just yeah. sit courtside at the fucking Clippers game every night, you know, and it, it, it's yeah. gonna, that's where they're yeah. going to get us. dude. It's going to be too wait. seductive. It's wait. like it's like Infinite <laughs> Jest, you know, you know, the Infinite Jest, the book. The idea is that it's this it was written in, in the 90s, but it's it's about this VHS tape that has got entertainment on it. That's so seductive that people who watch it. They just sit there in front of the TV until, you know, their their lives are ruined, basically. And I that's the future for us is, is this this reminds 100%. me there's a, a 80s movie Dude. called The Stuff that was about like a food that everyone did that. And they like it was like their favorite food and everyone turned into. Oh, zombies. really? I haven't heard of that. Oh, that's that Johnny, sounds very similar. Yeah. That's my theory on crystal meth. OK, it's like <laughs> it's so good. Don't do it. Don't do it. But it's so yeah. good. It ruins your life. You're yeah, willing the same way. to ruin your life for the hyper visuals and intensity that comes from that thing that regular life cannot compete. (laughs) That's my opinion. So if you do meth and then get into the metaverse, that's like, then it's just over. It's just (laughs) over. It's like everything on like, that's why like adult films and crystal meth are like peanut butter and jelly because it's just this like, well, I'm Boom. looking forward to whatever, like, like, let's say everyone gets Neuralink, right? There's going to have to be like a digital psychedelic where you just click the DLC and you're just tripping them automatically. Yeah, but know? then how do you go back to real life? And you don't. That- you start redefining what real life is at that point, right? You start coping with ways to, to merge the two. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that there's going like everything there's going to be a large amount of people that go on it and then there's going to be a large amount of people that don't and they're going to corral a lot of people into this ai stuff and this metaverse and that's how they're going to thin the herd man like why would you want to mate with somebody when you could be fucking grand theft autoing everything it's like when i do stand up in like miami and 
Nobody wants to go. You, nobody sells tickets in Miami. Why? Why would you want to go watch people tell jokes when you can go live Grand Theft Auto on <laughs> South Beach, right? It's just like, it's just that there's no way to compete with that. And that's going to be the metaverse. And I do think we're a little ways away from it getting that intense, but I think it will come. Who knows? I, I, I do the joke all the time, dude. I can't wait till I'm fucking in an old home and fucking the metaverse is kicking and you'll never hear from me again. I'll be 80 fucking hung like a horse in opium dens, <laughs> banging strange all day. And I'll be the happiest person ever. The old home is going to be great. Like my, our parents are getting the old home when it still sucks. In the future, with the metaverse, we're going to be crushing it, bro. Well, again, I live in Central Florida, so there's this place here called The Villages. I don't know if you've heard of this. There was a a movie recently that had Darren Aronofsky involved, who did Pie and a whole bunch of other, you know, Requiem for a Dream. But it's a documentary about this retirement community called The Villages in Central Florida. Heard about this, yeah. And there's like this outbreak community of of just like swingers to the point where i saw uh, there's a video going around where you tie a different color loofah to your car and that kind of represents like how kinky you're willing to get with other people in your retirement community dude i love nobody's pulling out everyone's just blasting away <laughs> yeah exactly everyone's gone through menopause and they're sterile i have like, a whole joke all about pretenses that. are gone it's just like wrinkles everywhere you look <laughs> grandma's wombs are like afghanistan you can just some pop. kind of heaven that's the name of the, some kind of heaven some, that's the, the that's the movie yeah and it, it really they try but they don't do justice to how strange that whole area truly is I also have a wow. I have a theory that Florida man is meant to scare people from moving to Florida. I'm okay with it. <laughs> no, I'm with away. you, dude. I mean, I, I think it. there's this like when you live in L.A., you hear people just shit on the valley and then you go live in the valley and you're like, it's not that bad, dude. It's not that bad at all. The valley is pretty cool. And I convince people in the valley trying to convince everybody not to move to the valley. Stay in, the fucking, <laughs> stay in Hollywood. And on the west side, you know. All right. So what do we what's up? What are we going on to next? Disney's so uh, uh, the 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 big finale here. Um, it's it's more than I want to cover in one call here, but Fantasia and Fantasia is a really interesting one because it was like this huge project that didn't necessarily have the same commercial success as all Real the quick, other. Before you movies. start that, just hold on. Sorry, yeah, I, yeah, I yeah, need go. to do this because. You know, when we get into Pinocchio, we've had other guests on that were talking about the darkness of Pinocchio, and you you're seeing more of the occult stories told over time. Is it possible that over time, and that even though every single you know thing has to be drawn a thousand times, that there were parts maybe the of 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 Walt Disney that maybe was a little darker than some might want to admit and that these things were snuck in. Do you have a specific example that we could talk about? Well, I mean, when we talk about, you know, they come back, they go to pleasure Island. They don't come back as boys. The whole, the, all that stuff that, that is involved with that. Like, is it possible? In yeah, your absolutely. No, that I, I mean, could, I, I think that we they were actually Dick talking Doodles, about, because right. well, at, at the time, right, in Italy, when the actual story, not just the cartoon, but when the story was written, there legitimately was all sorts of like child kidnapping and horrible 
uh, crimes going on. Italy had not been unified at all at this point. That that wasn't until uh, later into the 20th century when like the Pope started telling them like, hey, I'm like writing this into the Vatican law that you guys need to stop being such dicks. But prior to that, this was a very, very real uh, thing that was happening. Kids were getting abducted all the time. And I think that 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 very real thing got directly ported into the movie, even though it might not have been happening the same way in like America in 1930s when the Pinocchio movie came out, but it was very much based on real facts. And, ac- and actually there's an, another one that talks about Snow White because there's um, Snow White may have been based on two actual people in history. And one of those is like a really tragic tale because the gnomes, if I can remember this, the, the gnomes and the, the seven gnomes in, um, in Snow White at that time, there was a story that, kids were being sent into mines and they were getting all kinds of horribly mutilated. And there was some kind of like a, like a toxic element and it would cause their limbs to fall off. And they used to call those people that lost their limbs, um, the, the poor dwarves. Um, So Snow White and the seven dwarves was sort of a reference to this lady that had, you know, she worked in like royalty, like her dad was owned the mines or something. And these dwarves that would go down and lose their, their arms and their legs and stuff. Um, So again, this is another direct reference to like horrible working conditions and, and absolute tragedies, uh, which I, I think is one of my favorite parts of mythology too, though, is that these things get baked into these stories and, you know, 200 years later, it's these cool little dwarves that are singing hi-ho and they're going back to their little village, but they might have represented um, like some of the most horrible work uh, enforcement in history, you know, like well, mutilating people. Whole, there's a whole belief. There's this whole Internet conspiracy going around that the despicable me's are based on <laughs> uh, this these camps in the Holocaust. And these pictures of kids walk around in what looks like literally like gas suits. And so, well, we're talking about more modern movies here. So, I, so I'm trying to trace the lineage that the original ones that set the whole foundation for Disney, right, right. They they were baked in deep occultism, and they didn't even try to hide it. It wasn't subliminal at that point because society was way more accepting of the Zodiac being in a movie less right. so than now. And, you know, if there was like a Zodiac in a Disney movie, now you'd have a million conspiracy blogs. Like they're trying to push Satan on our babies and blah, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah. It um, is which again is that puritanical approach necessarily. Yeah. I do find that interesting, but the, yeah. the modern ones, I think there's way more cases for like subtle, like uh, another one of my favorites is monsters Inc. So I love the topic of adrenochrome mm-hmm. yep. and monsters Inc. Comes up <laughs> things, constantly. Things you never hear in your it. life. I love to talk about adrenochrome. You're like, what? <laughs> well, and, and monsters Inc. Is one of the go-tos where they literally are scaring kids and they, oh, through yeah. the fear, they're extracting this like actual liquid that they then have to use and like store up. And it's like their currency and their lifeblood. Um, and like, is that not a direct, you know, reference to exactly what adrenochrome uh, is sort of is no, like mentioned sure. to be? For sure. Oh my god, I never even thought about. It. Okay, Fantasia, and we can and we can go through. Well, let me hit Fantasia on a second tangent too, because another thing that comes up in the dark. There's two ones, right? One is the 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 Disney Princess Project Monarch programming um, aspect. This is where a lot of people tend to go especially when you're talking about like epstein and kids getting kidnapped because project monarch and mk ultra 
was essentially about mind control and torture and trauma. Um, however, I don't want to disappoint too many people here, but I 100% believe in MK Ultra and all the facets of it. I've written a comic book on it. Project Monarch is a lot more speculative. It's almost entirely based on the reports of two or three people, Cisco Wheeler, Fritz Springmeier, and to a lesser degree, um, Kathy something or other. And uh, the MK Ultra and the Project Monarch came so far after Disney had already established this concept of like Disney princesses and, and that whole mentality that if anything, if, if Project Monarch even existed, they just took Disney um movies and this princess archetype because it was already so instilled into the public i argue you know through ceremonial magic over the course of multiple decades and they just said hey this programming's already out there this ceremonial magic's been going on for decades let's just use that and you know build on top of it so that's one aspect of like this dark disney um, and then the other one is very much that puritanical like they're injecting satan injecting paganism and things but um, you know, you, it's very hard to tell a story that you're not referring back to something that could be considered pagan because, you know, the same 10 stories over and over with different characters. Just unbelievable. So, unbelievable. so, so Fantasia, <laughs> this one I think is the most blatant and has the most like deep occult uh, symbolism. And I'm only going to touch on a couple of the main scenes from it, but, but first of all, uh, Fantasia is literally the opening scene, it's the symphony. I don't know how, how many of you guys have seen Fantasia recently. It sort of was like a whole bunch of different animations that were put together by different artists to different bits of music. And then after all that was done, someone sat down probably with, you know, Disney at the helm and they arranged them into this master uh, movie, but that it might not have necessarily been designed to where like the, the order that we see them in was what they were created in or meant to be in. However, the full work is all we have to, to go off of. So the one, the one cool thing is it opens up. There's no animation at all. It's, it's the silhouettes of someone playing like a single instrument. And I take this to mean again, like this Gnostic image of creation or the, or the Sephiroth, you know, the, the Kabbalistic tree of life where it starts with this one frequency, a single instrument being played by the silhouette and just a single color and then it starts adding more complex colors. You got different orchestra coming in. Their silhouettes are coming in. So imagine a single sine wave, you know, a very pure sine wave. And you start adding more to it. You get this more complex wave, almost like FM synthesis, if anyone does uh, like music production. So now it's like multiple waves coming in. They start adding more colors, more and more music. And then eventually it, it transitions to this animation. And this is almost a direct... Um, uh, version of this Gnostic, you know, using frequency and light and sound um, to, to actually manifest like a physical reality. Because as soon as that happens, we actually go into like the Big Bang, the world gets formed, we see dinosaurs uh, growing up. So they're literally saying, you know, the world started with um, the word uh, or this frequency, as I would read it. And that frequency then manifested reality but it was an imperfect reality. And then the dinosaurs, they kind of die. And there's this a whole bunch of like death imagery. The world kind of goes into like a, a mass desert um, and it looks like everything's going to be lost. And then all of a sudden magic comes in. This is where fairies and pixies. And this is some of the very first, what we would see in like many Disney movies to come years and years later, it all kind of starts in this. And they've got little versions of pan running around, you know, the, um, pan from mythology so we've got all these pagan elements to it 
And going back to that Demolay and the Freemason and the Rosicrucian, there's this concept of correlating human advancement with architecture. Um, and I'm going to butcher this because I don't, I don't remember them all by heart, but in the Dance of the Hours, which is where these um, elephants are dancing around, they show ionic columns. And in, in uh, secret teachings and Freemasonry and Rosicrucianism, they teach that the, um, or is it the, the dork? The ionic column is like the most basic. And then you go to dork, which is a little bit more, more complicated. And then you've got like Corinthian columns and you've got composite columns. The idea is that over time, you could see how evolved civilization was by how many like cool extra details they put into their columns, their architecture. So if it was just a, a straight up pillar. Then, you know, they knew architecture, but they didn't have culture all the way to like these badass ones with little spirals and leaves coming out and, you know, filigrees coming out and stuff baked into it. You knew that they were at like the height of culture. They understood uh, astrology in addition to masonry and all these things. So in this movie of Fantasia, there's one scene where the, the elephants are dancing, but they aren't really like they can't talk or sing or do anything complicated. And this is when they have the most basic version of that column. And then a few scenes later, there's they're dancing again, but they have a lot more like intelligence to them. They can sing and dance. And this has that slightly more complicated column. And this is something you would never even notice, you know, like in the background. Yeah, great. There's columns that went by. But but again, if someone had to sit down there and draw these backgrounds out and, and you know, photograph them tens of thousands of times, it's not a mistake that the first one was, you know, the the simple column and then it got more advanced as it went on. So just a little injection of that, like Freemasonic Demolay Rosicrucianism. Who no, knows I love that from, stuff, there. dude. I love that. And then my favorite one is that night on bald mountain. So this one is the one that I go into the deepest just cause I've got a, my, my we were talking last before, you know, how to pronounce my last name. It's Gorence, but that's because it's the anglicized version. It's really supposed to be Gorenk which I think is supposed to mean like family of the mountains or man of the mountains in Slovenia. Um, so I've got this like I, this untapped Slovenian roots that I have no connection to other than knowing that my last name somehow came from Slovenia deep down. But in the uh, Fantasia, the most striking scene to me, there's literally this huge like satanic creature that comes out of the top of a mountain and he spreads his wings and all these ghosts fly up and witches and devils. And it's uh, all going to the theme of this song called Night on Bald Mountain. And it seems like the most out of place Disney um, animation. To, and, you know, because everything they did was like for kids and happy and and dancing um, elves and stuff. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? This particular scene in Fantasia? I think so. I mean, I, I haven't seen the movie. It's been a it's long well, time if, if you just go that. on Google or, or on YouTube and just search for Fantasia Night on Bald Mountain. Okay. So the, the story, though, and this one, it blows my mind because of how deeply entrenched in occultism it is. So, oh, yeah. Look at that. Jeez. Yeah, bro. If, if you see a picture of it, I mean, it is not something you would expect to see yeah. at Disney. Yeah, no. Uh, well, I mean, unless you start to start thinking Disney's up to some shady well, ass shit. <laughs> So, so the so let me start with the song, and then we'll get oh into the actual. Oh my god! Animation. Look how dark that is. So, so the song is um, was written by this guy, modern Masor Masorgi, and he was Russian, but he tapped a lot into like Ukrainian and Slavic folklore. And one of these tales that they had had to deal with Midsummer, right? The the feast of Saint John the Baptist. Yeah, this is 
And this is a mountain known as like a three-headed, this is the three-headed mountain. It's just somewhere in Slovenia. Oh, great. There's some freaking demons. There's this giant wing thing. It's like going down on some village and drowning it in darkness. Yeah, that seems creepy, and, and, bro. And this is meant for like kids because this is 1940. So it's meant for this is the first movie some kids well, watched, right? This I mean, dude, let's be watched. honest. In in a in a hold on in a in 1940, a four year old. Had, was about as mature as a 20 year old right now. So it's like <laughs> yeah. they already had three had jobs. A full-time job, right? Yeah. Already playing child support, right? <laughs> so it's just a different vibe at that time. But this, I mean, this is is unmistakably a cult in nature. And what we're seeing there, that demon, his name is um Chernabog. And Chernabog literally translates to the black god. Um, which is essentially Satan. And this whole entire scene here is based on a song called Night on Bald Mountain. And the, the composer that wrote Night on Bald Mountain, it's a compilation of two different stories that he was trying to narrate with music. The first one was called St. John's Eve, I believe. And again, I was talking before, St. John's Eve is Midsummer Eve, that you know, the crazy movie about the cult. And what would happen is that on St. John's Eve, all of the witches would get to the top of this mountain and they would perform a black mass and they would try to invoke, you know, Satan essentially to come down and whoever Satan preferred, he'd pick them and they would become, you know, his whores for the night and they do all these crazy magic rituals. And then in the morning, the sun comes up and everything goes away. And this was, that was the ritual of this like black mass ritual of St. John's Eve in these Slovenian, um, maybe Ukrainian folklore communities. So this this actually happened, which I mean, maybe not the, the guy didn't come out of the mountain and turn to a big demon, but witches actually went up to this mountain and performed this black mass ritual. And the guy wrote a song based on these actual um, practices. I, so, I don't, why was this ever a kid? This used to scare right. the shit out of me when I was a kid. I, this I remember particular I, scene? The whole film. It just, just <laughs> it made me uncomfortable as a child. I remember being just... just put off by it and 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 now as an adult looking back on it i'm like what the fuck and there's some some cool scenes well he hired uh salvador dali to do some of the scenes too but i don't think they ever made it into the final movie uh but that would have been amazing to see like some salvador dali animations as part of this this is a kid's People would lose it right now. If this came from 2022, right? (laughs) This is like a little Nas X at at the uh, (laughs) Kids' Choice Awards right now. This is for kids. This is so crazy. And it kind of brings up that, like, maybe it's always been like this. It's just people weren't looking for this. And he's eating these demons It does seem like the modern embodiment of those, you know, the folk stories that kids were told in you know in in centuries past it's similarly dark but yeah i remember this movie just used to scare the hell out of me yeah dude he's eating fire it's like a giant demon just stealing souls and i also always felt like i didn't get it with this movie like when i was a kid you know i was like what i i, I'm not, I just don't get this what what am i there's, supposed there's to take plenty from? of adult if you go and try to find 
uh, reviews There's and There's titties synopsis. right there. This is the <laughs> kid show with, with fire tits all yeah, over yeah, the place. Yeah. And these are, yeah. I mean, you could say these are fire elementals. Maybe they're demons, but yeah. it's very occult and it's not subtle. Like, was none it of this meant is to be subtle. for kids? I don't remember. When this film animals. came out, do you know, was it targeted at, for, at children? I mean, uh, I mean, it was kind of a, a mixture because a lot of their shorts came before feature movies. So even if you were going to see an adult movie about, you know, the mafia or some murder, yeah. you'd probably see a Disney short right before it anyways. Interesting. So they had fans from all different age groups. But I mean, when this this came out and right now, you know, it's rated to where it's it's a kid's movie. Like if, if you were to, I assume, go on Netflix or Disney Plus, Fantasia is probably not going to be under the adult section it's going to be under the kids section yeah i would love to know if it's on disney plus and when the cartoons and stuff i'm going to check that out real quick actually and and right there that that scene right here see where he's um standing with fire and he's got like a portal in his stomach yeah i'll run that that back very um well be like um a link to moloch right there oh yeah because how many pictures of moloch with a big bull that has that same stature with like the furnace entrance in his stomach yeah i mean dude this is, I mean, like, it's so funny. It's like people losing it on Nas X. It's like, <laughs> oh, dude, this has always been kids. And, it, you know, hook them young, bro. And it's just like so interesting, dude. It's just super interesting how, like, that. I, I guess people are just more naive then. And they were just blown away by just the technology of, a movie like that, like, oh my god, look at the drawings, look how cool this looks. They were like, Okay, is this is this some fucking spell being cast on my kids right now? Maybe, although I, I kind of think too, it's like uh as time has gone on over the last hundred years, people complain about a lot more because now it's more about like you're inconvenienced, you know, you're so used to like not being inconvenienced that there's all sorts of things to complain about. But imagine in 1920s complaining about seeing something slightly scary on the movie uh, screen. Yeah. Meanwhile, like, and, but the next week, you know, people are literally getting shot for, uh, for like union busting, like yeah. the, the difference of things that they cared about and were threatened by it. Probably like, cartoons were so down yeah. on that list yeah, it's interesting, versus but, the actual yeah. things. Yeah, I, I will say I looked it up on and it the first category that it's in is family. So that's yeah. how it's rated in the Disney. <laughs> so app. funny, dude. But like going back to like it, it's basically like doing stand up in Virginia versus stand up in Baltimore. People in Baltimore are going to let comedy slide a little bit more. They got bigger problems than yeah. than right now. You know, it's like it's like we've been saying weak times, you know, Good times make weak men. We're, you know, and as much as the chaos that we've had in the last seven years, it's still people are are pretty much doing really well. And even the poor people are killing it compared to what, like, if you go to like what what a ghetto is in Africa or certain parts of the world, like that's real problems. You know, when you got fat homeless people, you got, you know, that kind of lets you know. <laughs> that like the energy that's out there that you could actually have a uh, you know be out of shape from eating so bad and living on the streets. So and, and it explains too why people care about different things a hundred years ago versus now. Um, and and one of my favorite quotes is a, a Doug Stanhope quote, and it's something like, "Your suck doesn't make my suck any less suck," uh, which is like just because there's you know some kids starving in Africa 
doesn't mean that the fact that you can only afford ramen is like an acceptable thing. You know, you can fall into um, like acceptance, almost like a Stockholm syndrome of your condition. Uh, But on top of that, I I really do feel like a litmus test. So if someone's complaining about, you know, that movie had too many pagan references, like they probably aren't worrying about scurvy or they probably aren't worrying about black lung, you know? No, I'm with you on that. And, you know, when we talk about like St. Patty's Day and what that represented, you know, St. Patrick's was sent to kill off the snakes. Well, in Ireland, they don't have snakes. So it's like (laughs) that's paganism right there. And they're, you know, what that represents and what, like, you know, it's like, have we gotten so far into just like just being manipulated mentally by organized religion? to not being open-minded to some of the things that might be out there and that we automatically see them as negative. Like the swastika, we've been conditioned that that's a Nazi symbol when that's the Hindu symbol of peace. And that for much longer than any, than this notion that's Nazis. And what was, was that done purposefully to get us not to look into the universe? Well, again, Gray's law, man, who cares if it's done purposefully if right now that represents pure malice and it embodies that it sucks how we got there or what the intention was but it is what it is right now it's de facto evil right yeah so i mean this has been a wonderful episode i want to ask you you know you got the club 33 at disney that one's so less interesting than than it should be it sounds so cool you think 33 degree mason you think uh the you know the sun enters every house of the zodiac at the 33rd degree and it's got this but really the the going theory um or the explanation is that disney originally had 33 corporate sponsors so they named this special club app, you know, Club 33 because they had 33 sponsors. And it was unique because at the L.A. Uh, Disneyland, it was the only place on the park you could consume alcohol. And you'd have to know to go and knock on a special door. And if you were a member, they'd let you in. And you could drink and you could eat like the fancier food than you'd see anywhere else in the park. But it also caught like today, I think it costs $40,000 a year. Yep. It's not secret. If you can pay 40 grand and it's worth it to you, you're now part of the 33 club. And it's really just like a place you can hop into, get a quick drink, eat some more d'oeuvres and then go back out into the park and feel like you're fancy. It's like a VIP lounge uh, at, you know, at an airport. If you got the American Express black card, you get to go into the special lounge with the warm towels and the cheese. It's, it's kind of like that at too. Disney. Hey, hey well, Thomas, you said you were uh, at the fishbowl, right? And uh, I always mm-hmm. we've all seen the subliminal messages like the one with the Lion King where the sex thing pops up and then the Little Mermaid one. Disney claims they, they the artist slipped it in on accident. You say that's 100 percent more than one person saw that before it got released, right? Well, yeah, more than one person saw it. But I, I do believe that the artist slipped that in because like I was saying before, Disney was a slave driver. And even after he didn't have direct influence on all the production, like those guys were absolutely worked to the bone. And it's like, where, where else do you go? I don't know if um, so it, it was like, like the their, game. It was like their way of expression. Is that what you're trying to say? Like the only it was way to like, be yeah, like, they were, hey, they were frustrated as hell. Yeah. And they snuck some stuff in there to like, haha, I got one over on them, you know? Yeah. Okay. Um, there was a huge element of that, I think, to it. Well, I mean, I love this episode. Uh, well, let me sneak so- one more in here. Just okay. for anyone All else. Right. So All right. All right. There's an episode of DuckTales called Yuppie Ducks. And if you're into numerology, I, I didn't even realize this until I looked <laughs> it up today, but it's the 88th issue of DuckTales ever. 
It's season three, episode 13, and it was premiered on November 13th of 1989. And the part of this is that uh, Scrooge McDuck goes to see a doctor and on the back wall, there's an, an eye chart. And if you read yes. the eye chart, it says, ask about Illuminati. And there's been no great explanation on like who put it in there, how it got in there, what it really meant. But it's my go to favorite subliminal message out of anything Disney related, because there's no like no one accidentally put that in there. Well, we already know, based on what you've told us, that he was in the Freemason. So that totally makes sense to me that that would be there. Ask about the Illuminati. Well, this is 89 after he after he died. But I would argue the DNA of baking For these like sure. occult symbols like it's been in there since forever and ever and dude at the highest level like you know it's very interesting when it comes to hollywood like is everybody in on it i don't know man i i i, I think that would be really hard to control get nobody to talk about it like i know we got some fringe people i think there are a lot of people at the highest levels that do are are a part of it and do do dark shit to to basically allow them to be blackmailed well well you know um well the concept in freemasonry of being blackballed have you heard about this before no so like so in freemasonry if someone applies and they want to be part of a lodge everyone passes around um this like wooden voting thing and you've got a white ball or a black ball you can put in and basically if someone becomes a mason everyone has to vote unanimously with white balls if one person out of everyone in the lodge puts a black ball in there it's totally anonymous but that person is not allowed to be a mason and that's where the term blackballed uh, literally comes from oh and this God. it doesn't mean a whole lot now in 2022 but in 1930 or 1940 when making or breaking it in masonry might have been like being accepted in your community and getting a job or not if you got blackballed, you literally were like an outcast in that town. You might have to move to a completely different town. So, and the, the reason I bring this up is that in Hollywood, at least the people that I know that have made it anywhere, they, they uh, mentioned back to like the Weinstein brothers and how the Weinsteins had this like blackball power to them that if like you cross them or if something, you know, if you just got on their shit list, you didn't get to work anywhere because no one wanted to end up getting blackballed by the Weinsteins. And this, not just them, you can extrapolate that to Paramount and, you know, all the other major companies. But it's like once your name has that little black mark next to it, you get blackballed. That's no different than a secret society blackballing you. Well, I, I mean, I believe it, dude. I think uh, there's a lot of symbolism in there. A lot of times you see people. Um, you know, I've always said this, the world's ran by sorcerers. That's my whole thing. Occult is sorcery in my humble doesn't necessarily mean negatively, but people, the manipulation of energy and stuff like that. And I, I think you see that these very high levels of, of, uh, these giant studios and that's the game. And, you know, they want to be like this religion runs that, that religion runs. I think it's all cult stuff. Who's in the club? Who's not in the club? And that's it. Uh, man, Thomas, you came and crushed. I enjoyed it. I want to talk to you again a little bit uh, off. I'll give you my number before we go. His website is theparanoidamerican.com. Thomas, thank you so much for joining us. It was a great episode. I know I had a great time, and I know these guys did too. And 
You know, when we don't talk a lot, we're listening. So that means the, the show. Uh, thank you so much, Scott. Can I sneak one last plug in before we go here? You can plug anything yeah. you I've want. Got, uh, I've, I've been working on a comic book with my friend Juan from the One on One podcast. Who's also oh, part I love of Juan. I've been trying to get him on so, the show, man. So we're working on a comic right now. We're, we're already on issue two. Issue one's not out, but it's almost done. It's called The Chosen One. And he essentially goes around and meets different podcasters and every podcaster has a different uh, special ability. And then I've also got another uh, project with him called the occult book club. And if you just search on YouTube now, miraculously, I think we're like the top research result. We've only had three episodes out, but we read uh, end to end, you know, old manly P hall manuscripts, old grimoires, old like Rosicrucian texts. And we just break them down and analyze them for like two or three hours. And there's lots of, dog dick jokes and all sorts of like fart jokes and cute jokes so we don't take each other seriously but uh, a cult book club definitely look at that well you know so far you bring up dog dick and you know there's a, this you know people always be like red rockets right we know that that's what people say dog dicks are right i mean am yeah. i am i br- yeah thank you xavier johnny's yes. giving me dirty looks yes. like red he hasn't seen a, a bunch of them on the on the floor uh, so if you go by universal city walk there's uh it, it shows you all the different rides and movies and one is involving like a dog's life right and it's literally a dog riding a red rocket oh that's great that's great and i'm like okay guys we get what you're doing there shut up johnny you know what's going on stop it with that uh, if you look up the book liber vacay that could be a magical uh because because part of the magic is finding the biggest dog dick you can and beating a dead corpse of a cow with it until bees come out so that would be the what? biggest dog dick you'd be able to find that is Lee, if that, you if you're interested, check out episode three of. Uh, I, I really Club. love that everyone's like we're getting more and more perverse. I'm like, you have no clue what they used to do back in the day. <laughs> yeah. We just feel more guilty about it. That's the difference. Everyone got weird back in the day. Again, man, I love Juan. I I want to get him on the show because I think he's a he's he, and I, I you know I could say the same thing about you, you guys are great and uh, I enjoyed our conversation and I look forward to the next one. Dude. Likewise, thank you so much, Johnny XG is awesome meeting you guys. Jay Nice, of course. You don't, Sam. To, you don't have to say anything to them. They're, they're well, talk okay. To them. We'll talk again soon, man. I've, I've got still all kinds of comic ideas for you. <laughs> okay, I got. You. I appreciate you guys. Thanks so much. Hope to see you guys in Chicago tonight. <laughs> Chicago. <laughs> and then, okay, and then uh, I'll see you guys at Float Fest. Come get weird. Enjoy. Enjoy your weekend, guys. We go deep, homeboy. <laughs> Open your mind. Drink from the fountain of knowledge. There's lizard people everywhere. That's some interdimensional shit. Wake up, Aaron. This is only the beginning. You just blew my mind. Tim foil hacking.